September. That time when a young critic's mind turns to thoughts of summer movies? That's right. I'm Gene Shalek, and this is the Critics Corner for September something, uh, 1987. And it's time to catch up on some of the flicks I missed while my hair was attending Clown College in Providence, Rhode Island. It's really an excellent program. If you have a thick, pubescent mane like mine, you should really do yourself a favor and check it out. Anyway, on with the show. Oh boy, I missed a steaming hot garbage barge of cinematic shit this summer. Let's roll up our sleeves, hold our noses, and dive into the autopsy of the swollen corpse known as Summer 1987. <clears throat> Robocop? More like Hobocock, because that's what it smelled like. P.U. Predator? More like bed a whore, because if you do, you'll come away feeling less demoralized than if you sat through Predator. The Untouchables, oh boy, okay, this is a good one. All right, <clears throat> I'll give you three. The Untouchables, more like the Too Muchables. We get it, Brian De Palma. You like production design. The Untouchables, more like the Unfuckables. Robert De Niro looks like a ball of mozzarella cheese with hair and a mole. The Untouchables, more like The Unwatchables, because, you know, bad movie. Okay. The Witches of Eastwick. Oh, man, this is almost too easy. Why don't you review this one, America? I'll help you out. It's a simple mix-and-match scenario. Okay, we've got bitches, twitches, glitches, and itches in column A, and eat dick, beast lick, greased prick, and yeast stick in column B. Have at it, you fat Midwestern fucks. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 98 of Opening Weekend. 98. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's been. <laughs> It's been an excruciatingly long wait for about seven of you and a pleasant, if somewhat hazy, oh yeah, that's still a thing, realization for the rest of you. But we're back, baby, for three more episodes at least. Then we shall see what rises from the ashes or from the asses, as Fred and Jean Shallot might say. Does every open space have to be filled in? I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am joined for the 98th time by my dear friends, Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And as this incarnation of the podcasting juggernaut known as Opening Weekend nears its 100th episode of idiotic cinematic nostalgia and nostalgic cinematic idiocy, we are taking a very special look back at one of our favorite movie years, 1987, and four of that summer's biggest box office offerings, namely... The Witches of Eastwick, starring Jack Nicholson, Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. The Untouchables, starring Kevin Costner, Sean Connery, Andy Garcia, and Robert De Niro. Predator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, and Jesse Ventura. And Robocop, starring Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, and Ronnie <laughs> Cox. <laughs> But before we dive into the movies themselves, what do we all remember about the summer of 87? I remember Ronnie's cocks. Yeah. <laughs> Who could forget it? Both of them. 80. <laughs> summer 87. Well, we've talked about this summer quite a bit, I believe, right? It, we, it's come up in the past. We have. What we did. Some of the we, other I mean, we. Episodes we did on this summer. The, the summer of 87. 
we did, uh, we had the episode with Can't Buy Me Love, Disorder, <laughs> oh No Way oh, Out. Wow. And there was another one. Wow. That was another four film. What was it? What was the fourth one? Disorder, oh, Monster Can't Squad. Buy Me Love. Monster, Monster Squad. Squad. That was no a way good out. One. Good. That was good. That was the old days. Summer 87, I was going into 10th grade. And I've talked about this. I'm, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure this was the summer that I was uh, pulled out of my summer camp for wearing the Van Halen kicks ass t-shirt. I've mm-hmm. talked about that story before where yes. I, was, I was leading everyone in a rousing rendition of uh, the time warp. And I got into the fight with the uh, big Grizzly Adams uh, head camp counselor. What the fuck are you talking about? But so I was, you know, it was a typical summer for me. We had the VBC, uh, the village bath club, the, I was going to the, 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 the day camp. I remember this was two things pop out in my head with this summer going to 10th grade. So this was my last summer as a counselor at this camp at the horizons program at the New York Institute of technology. And there was a kid there and I wish I could remember his name, but he had red hair and freckles, which oddly enough, the guy that you all refer to as Joshi Friedkin, who I've mentioned way back say, when, right. he also had red hair and freckles. And so it appears the two and both of these kids were like major, major film nerds. Like they really sort of introduced me to a lot of films and things about filmmaking. So I don't know what it is about <laughs> red hair and freckles, but that seems to be for me, mm-hmm. those are my uh, my filmic muses. But this kid... I remember Ron Ron Howard, Ron Howard, Alfred E. Newman, um, (laughs) Wendy from Wendy. Why you love her. Real, real auteur, her stuff. Uh, I love her stuff. Yeah, No, where's the beef? Uh, Brilliant masterpiece. Hello. Uh, Speaking of Ronnie Cox, but. (laughs) Oh, mercy. But I always remember leaving like this kid. He had his own editing system at home, like way back when, you know, this is before, you know, now you can edit anything on your computer. I. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. Welcome to Earth. It was a G.I. Jane job. I, my I, name I, out your fucking I'm going to, okay? I can't speak. He had a full on, I think he was, I think he was fairly well off. I don't know, but he had a, uh, a full on, like, uh, what would you call it? Like it wasn't, at this point, it wasn't, uh, you know, splicing. It wasn't film, like cutting and splicing film. We were just past that. It was the like an Avid machine. Was it Avid? Yeah, it was something like that. It was like an early okay. Avid. So it was right. like like yeah. one of the early. It wasn't digital, but I guess it was the closest thing to digital editing closest machines. Thing, yeah. But I remember going to this kid's house, and he would. It was so cool. He would make his own trailers. And he and I remember he made one like to live in. Oh, no. <laughs> he would cut his own trailers and he made one for Predator. I always remember he made wow. his own trailer for it. And he, I don't know how we got the clips. I have no clue. Yeah. But maybe at this point, this, this was probably, you know what? This was probably maybe was early fall. So mm. it might have been already out on VHS. It might have just come out mm-hmm. and maybe he got it and he dubbed it. 
but he would just sit there and make and cut his own trailers. And I just thought it was so cool wow. and being sort of blown away that you, that one could do that. <laughs> Meet recovering alcoholic Arnold Ernst Tote. We are, we are not thirsty. He's got an eye for the ladies. We meet again for life. And he loves to share his feelings. What shall we talk about? But when tensions flare and cultures clash. Americans, you're all the same. Always overdressing for the wrong occasions. And his true love's ex arrives on the scene unexpectedly. The man is nefarious. Tote decides to take her out for a night of intolerance she'll never forget. Let me show you what I am used to. Mr. Tote's Wild Ride. You'd be crazy to not see it on the big screen. June 23rd. That's the best thing on the podcast so far. And uh, I remember that summer we had done, he had written like a Terminator script that we filmed and he wanted hmm. me to direct it, but I didn't really know what that meant. So he sort of got <laughs> mad at me because I didn't really, I just sort of showed up and I, <laughs> I didn't, even though. He's like, tell me what to do. Give me, yeah. give me my motivation, I, I, had, I had no clue what that meant to direct a film at that time. I thought it was just like, oh we God. just get together and, you know, we all. We put a camera somewhere and I didn't realize that I had to be in charge. But then the other thing with that summer, I remember there were also, we befriended. So there was, there was the, the, there was a dance program in that camp too. And one of the girls, I think she was in the dance program and I think her name was Meredith. She was like the, the leading lady in this Terminator film we did. And <laughs> she was, she was a year or two older, her and her friend, Michelle and we did, we became really good friends and they were, they actually, they were from where I grew up in Manhasset and we became mm. really, really close friends over the summer. We were like this tight gang. And then I remember going back into school in 10th grade, like they just sort of stopped talking to me. Mm. It all sort of like it, it drifted away. And I remember it was my first experience of, of wait, what's, what happened? What's, what's going on? Like they're, yeah. because you're upperclassmen, uh, you're suddenly going to, well, maybe I did too. I don't know. Maybe I just was back in school and I, but I, I don't recall it that way. I seem to remember that feeling of, of, wow, we were being snubbed, yeah, being snubbed. We were really good mm -hmm. friends. And now like, you know, they were cheerleaders and they sort of just went off and did their own thing. And one of them started to date this guy, uh, uh, Tommy Muller, who was the, the older brother of my friend Heidi. And so I sort of still had a connection with her because he was on the soccer team with me and he played drums and he was a really, really nice guy. And he was, he was like two or three years older than me, but, uh, yeah, it was weird. I'm like, wow, we spent this whole summer together making movies and having fun and doing all this great stuff. And now like you walk down the hallway and that's it. It was very can't buy me love, you know, sort yeah. of those, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. You sit on my health! You sit on my health! You sit on my health! I, I know I always bring this up, but th this actually, I know I've done this mistakenly before, but this actually is the summer. We'll tear down this wall. Is that any good?
That's excellent. That's good. Thank That's you. excellent. Yes, and you did get it right. You had did said you? it when we, well, you, you had said it did. during the Fatal Attraction episode. No, it was the Fatal Attraction episode, which was like fall of 87 or September of 87. And you said, wasn't that this year? And I was right. the one who was like, no, I think that was like 1989. And then we looked it up and it was 87. Oh, it was. But it was, okay. but it was, but it was More right now. now. It was literally the day, because I was reading something about it, the day that, Predator and Witches of Eastwick opened was wow. Friday, June 12th, 1987. And that's the day that he was in Berlin and said, tear down this wall. So you're right on the money with, uh, with this. Yeah. Yeah. That's just How about exactly that? when he did it. I'm, on, I'm accurate cool. for once. And you're then very uh, accurate pin, pinpoint accuracy. Finally, after 98 episodes. And, <laughs> and the other thing that happens this summer is a classic gentlemen a classic and and then a reborn classic decades later never gonna give you up never gonna let you It would be a that would be used as a, a prank, an internet prank. You know, the internet wasn't even born yet, so no one knew is the answer to that. That's another uh, redheaded, freckle faced <laughs> inspiration. Yeah, for Fred. Oh yeah, <laughs> for Fred, for all of us. <laughs> it was always he was so it was so fascinating because you'd hear that voice and you would never expect it to come out of that. No, never face that man. You you're like exactly. It's like you're hearing Barry White or something, and then yeah, you come see out how of Ron Howard. Yeah, so, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's completely bizarre. Um, but uh, yeah, this was a, this was an interesting, you know. And these movies were. It's so funny because the, everybody. When we talk about this more, when we talk about the movies, but movies like Predator and RoboCop um, were R, and mm-hmm. yet I had friends who went. And like, oh, you haven't seen RoboCop? Oh, you haven't seen Predator? Oh, you haven't seen this? You haven't seen this? And it's like, no, I haven't seen it. I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed. <laughs> how are you allowed? How is uh, how, yeah. how, What bad parents you have that you're allowed to go? Hey, you know, oh, like I would judge them while I was super jealous. I'm talking about my mom and dad here. All right. <laughs> I know. That's easy. one that you would be one of the kids easy. that I'm jealous of. Well, we know? probably snuck in, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I know kids whose parents were like, "Yeah, you can go to that. Just go with so and so's big brother, you know, or yeah. sister." And it was like, and you're uh, like, my you're were not like, a parent or guardian. <laughs> I can't go with you. No, that's how I normally would have been. You know, right. yeah, exactly. And my parents in, were like, "You're never seeing that." I was going into junior year now, right? So eighty seven. Yeah. So I this summer I did see a lot of these rated R movies in the theater and it was the first time because the year before i remember we talked yeah the year before was um aliens and the fly and i saw both of those in the theater wow. when i was 15 they were definitely so right and, and i got kicked out of the theater for one of them i think I did. So, yeah 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 oh, and and we had I've to go back in out. again and just yeah like somebody like wouldn't let us in i think it was aliens when it, and then they were like no come on guys you gotta like we got wow. in and then somebody came in and was like, no, like, game over kids. Oh, I think the re- the reason for that is I think we went, we, I think we bought tickets to club paradise <laughs> and then we went Jesus. and then we, tr- and then we went into aliens and they were like, yeah, you guys, yeah, that's, how you did it. that's right. I'm forgetting. And that's that. how we yeah. did it. But I think it's because we did it that way 
that we got caught because then I was like, oh, fuck it. Let's just go buy tickets to Aliens. Because no one was in Club Paradise. They, <laughs> they opened the door, checked in there, and they were like, wait a minute. We I sold know two tickets for this. We sold two tickets for this, but there were zero people in here. Oh, yeah. they're in the other theater. So then I, that's when I was like, oh, if you just say – then I was like, oh, let's just try to go to Aliens. Let's just try it and just say, act like we're supposed to be there. And they didn't check ages and i was like great and then we went to the fly and then this summer saw everything and i remember it with the beginning of the summer was beverly hills cop 2 that was the first big summer movie oh, in yeah. 87 and that was the one that like people were like you know if we had had children we'd try to sell them to get into this mm -hmm. i mean there were like so many like i remember like if you had the misfortune to look too young you know if you were too small or too whatever then they were like being like, no. Yeah, and then if you looked, looked like you were probably old enough, they were like, okay. Yeah. And it was really something. This summer, yeah, this summer was like, I saw a lot of radar movies for the first time. Wow. And, and I saw you. a lot of, and this is the summer I went through. I was thinking about it. I was like, I feel like this is probably the peak, the, the peak of my obsession with, with movies in high school. And also like the peak of my my active movie going. Because this, you know, I it would I would see a lot of movies in other summers, I'd see a lot of movies multiple times. Like you see Return of the Jedi three, four times, see E.T. a couple of times, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But I went through, I was like, I saw 20 different movies in the theater this summer. And that's on top of seeing some again and again, like, because I saw Untouchables a few times. I saw Beverly Hills Cop a few times. Wow. So I went to the movies a fucking lot. And then I went through to be like, and I was like, is that odd? Is it not? And I went through every year in, in like the eighties and it's by far the most diff different movies, separate movies that I went to see. Now, not factoring in how many times I might've seen something or whatever, but I saw 20 different ones in 87. The closest runner up is 16 in 86. You so funny that you quantified this year by year. That's what I'm saying. You're like, is that weird that I saw so many movies? I'm like, I think it's weirder that you spend some time going through each decade, <laughs> figuring out how many movies I you did. saw every summer. I just did it yesterday. I just went down a rabbit hole. I was like, okay, everything that opened between May and uh, Labor, you know, basically from mid-May until Labor yeah. Day, and I went through, and I was like, and after '87, it tapered off. I saw ten different movies in '88, ten different movies in '89. This isn't for the year, just for the summer. And then you go back to when the younger I get, it really tapered. It's like eight different ones in '84, seven in '83, five in '82, three in '81, and those three were Superman two, The Great Muppet Caper, and The Fox and the Hound. What else do you need to say? You're a fucking nerd. nerd. You're a fucking nerd. nerd. No one likes you. Point no one likes you. You saw the three best movies, possibly of the decade. Clash of the Titans. <laughs> I didn't see Raiders. I didn't see Raiders in the wow. theater. Oh I my just, gosh! Neither did I. Neither did I. I saw the real kitty stuff. You know, well, because sure. I yeah, you must have been in second grade. I was in fourth grade. But um, yeah, no, so. 87, I saw a shit ton of movies. You're going, you're about to go into your junior year high school, right? Now, do yes. you have your learner's permit by this time? Are you about to get it or? I did not get my learner's permit until, I don't think I got it until, or maybe I got my permit while I was still in high school, but I didn't get my license until after my first year at Hofstra. Hmm. I didn't what? Get, I didn't, I didn't get my license until after high school. Yeah. How did you get to I all these not. movies? My that's friends. what I was just going to oh, ask. Wow. Did you ride your bike or did you hitch rides I, with friends? I, I, I had friends who, I had a couple friends who 
drove and they would be like the, you know, a couple friends in older grades who were kind of like our, you know, my, my buddy, Steve Stern, he was a year older than me. He drove, he took us to most of these films. Then my friend Ray got his car, but a lot of us, like a lot of my friends didn't have our licenses and certainly didn't have forget, you know, nowhere near having a car, but didn't even have our licenses through junior year. But I think most of my friends, they had it by senior year if they didn't have it earlier than that. And I was like the only one who was like, well, I don't have a car. Uh, you know, I'm not getting a car anytime soon. So I just didn't worry about it. You're a fucking nerd. No one likes you. I can remember very vividly seeing Witches of Eastwick on opening day at a matinee and feeling very mature. We'll talk about this when we get to the movie, but like I had wanted to see it. I was, I was a Jack Nicholson fan, but I think this like made me a super fan. And, you know, for whatever I had seen him in prior shining terms of endearment, stuff like that. And it looked like a cool movie. It looked like a mature adult movie. I was like, you know, I wasn't 17 yet, but I was like, at that point I had gotten into a few radar movies. So I thought I probably won't have too much trouble getting into it. And I remember it was like this rainy day, really crazy rainy day. I think it was like, must've been midterms or not midterms. I'm sorry, like finals week or something, because I was free early in the day. Like I must've gone and taken a test in the morning and had the rest of the day free and asked my, I asked my grandfather, could, would he drop me off at the movie theater so I could go see a movie by myself? And I think it was also the first time in my life that I went to see a movie by myself. Wow. And I went and he dropped me off and I went in as if I would. And I was thinking of, because I was the film critic for the school paper. Yes. I was like, well, this is, this is like what film critics do. Yeah, they go, right. they, exactly they go right. by themselves to yeah. matinees and they make notes about movies, but it was the end of the school year. So I wasn't going to be writing anything about this for the school paper. I just wanted to go the way an adult does, but I had to be dropped off by my grandfather. <laughs> like so like the like, way an adult doesn't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then I'm in the theater. I'm the only teenager. Everybody else was like 40 years old. I was like, but you right. have your chance right now to give your critique of the oh. witches of Eastwick. You'll know what I think about which is V Strick because I'm I'm upset that we're starting with it. That's how much I love the witches of Eastwick. <laughs> oh well, I, I you know, listen. I, I had another segue that I was going to do, Go but ahead. you jumped. No, well, you you jumped. You I you were talking ta- about sorry, something talking and about you kept going, and I was like, well, I just lost it. So this just seemed oh, like the natural exactly. way to go. Make it make it work. Yeah, this is fine. This is totally natural. No, we're here. We're, we're back. We're at the witches of Eastwick. You got to talk about it. Your segues are untouchable. That which brings us to our first movie, <laughs> RoboCop. <laughs> And you, Dan, have a robotic cock, which brings us to our next film, Predator, because you wield it like a sexual predator. See, now you can segue to anything. Because we've done it all. We've done it all. Uh, No, I'm very happy to jump in with The Witches of Eastwick. In the quiet town of Eastwick, where nothing ever changes... Three beautiful women are about to discover powers they never dreamed they had. Who should we be looking for? He should be really handsome. Nice eyes. Now, the man of their dreams is here. Jane, last we meet. To stay for a spell. Who are you? Just your average horny little devil. With the witches of Eastwick. Hocus Pocus. 
In the picture-perfect New England town of Eastwick, three best friends who seem to exhibit a supernatural connection in each other's presence, Alexandra, Jane, and Suki, played by Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer, respectively, are feeling unfulfilled and underappreciated, until a dark, eccentric stranger named Daryl Van Horn, played by Jack Nicholson, arrives mysteriously one rain-soaked night, eventually seducing the three women and scandalizing the God-fearing Norman Rockwellian community at large. But as the three friends spend more and more time casting off their inhibitions and discovering the scope of their abilities in Daryl's presence, they also begin to fear the impulsive unpredictability of his powers and grow wary of his ultimate intentions. Based on John Updike's 1984 novel of the same name, which is deviates from the more serious and dramatic tone of its source material under Mad Max auteur George Miller's direction, becoming a comedic special effects-laden battle of the sexes. At one point, Bill Murray was in talks to play the Daryl Van Horn role, and when Nicholson took over, it said that Miller would shoot seven different takes of each scene, ranging from grounded and naturalistic in the first to over-the-top and baroque by the seventh. The Witches of Eastwick is said to be almost exclusively comprised of Nicholson's seventh takes. <laughs> in a turn of events that threatened to capsize the production, Susan Sarandon was originally cast as Alexandra, but when Cher read the script and expressed interest in the same role, the parts were swapped with Sarandon only being informed of the change upon first arriving to the set. With an Oscar-nominated score by John Williams and outstanding supporting performances from Veronica Cartwright and the always amazing Richard Jenkins, The Witches of Eastwick was the third biggest hit of the summer of 1987, taking in $9.5 million over its opening weekend, en route to a total box office of $63.8 million. Fred and Dan, what did you boys think? Of the Witches of Eastwick. This is such an interesting, interesting movie. I had seen it before, several years ago, once. I forgot most of it. Like it was, it you know, ninety percent of this was as I was as if I was seeing it for the first time. I mm. really forgot a ton of it. Um, the wonderful performances in this send it over the uh, way over the midline, Sheila wise for me. Not to jump to Sheila's, but the but the interesting thing about it is the way to me is the way that it unfolds um you know you get sort of act one the the them in essence conjuring him right and then the three seductions act two is sort of the middle part playful and and frolicky and and everything's hunky-dory meanwhile veronica cart right amazing 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 performance is going downhill the third act i think is where it either and you tell me what you think about this. It either uh-huh. stumbles or it becomes brilliant because what's <laughs> kind of missing for me is their moment of conversation, their moment of realization, their moment of aha, you know, of, oh, he doesn't have the power. We have the power. They have that moment where they come together and they argue mm-hmm. and the earth cracks, you know. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. next thing we know, they're – and and part of this, part of the problem with this is that book. They go to his house, they seduce him, they send him out for ice cream, which is brilliant. brilliant. And then they go, okay, time to get the book. And I'm going, the book? This is not where, <laughs> to quote my wife, where this movie goes wrong, Hocus Pocus gets it right. The book is there from the beginning. The book is everything. Look at Fred's face. The book is very well set up and it's integral to the plot. Hocus pocus. This, they like smash, they open up that thing, they get the book and they're like, okay, time to be witches for the first time. And I'm missing the scene where they go, 
you know what? We actually, we actually, um, are the ones who made ourselves float and made ourselves bring him here and made the earth crack and made it. And so we must be witches. And therefore, and since he has this book, we can make a voodoo doll of him and, and get to the end of the story. You know what I mean? I'll give you right. that, Dan. I'll give Hocus Pocus that. See, thank you. Uh, it employs its book well. Right. But you know what I'm saying? But on the flip side, the other side of my brain goes, you know what? No, you don't actually need that scene. You don't need that conversation. You don't need that aha. That would make the movie a little too Hollywoodized. They actually are figuring out in the moment and they're maybe they, and, it, and it's all in the not knowing, you know, they're, it's all in the, we don't know if this is going to work. We're going to try this. Uh, yes, we've never set up or seen this book before, but we're going to try to be witches and see if it works. And that's really it. You know, the, the, you know, Cher goes over there to save Michelle Pfeiffer's life. Once she's saved, which is a, br- that's might be my favorite scene where, where Nicholson's like, it's nothing I can do. I can't do anything about it. Yeah, you know, she's yeah. gonna die. It is so callous and so wonderfully nonchalant. It's beautiful. It's a beautifully played scene because he is loathsome in that, but it's, it's the loathsomeness of, of apathy. It's so great. It's yeah. so, it's so well played. Suki is very ill. Well, sorry to hear. All right, then do something about it. Me? What can I do about it? Doesn't have anything to do with me anymore, does it? Yeah, it does, and you know it does. No, I don't. All I know is we were friends, and the next day I was shut out. That's all I know. One minute I was the answer to your prayers, and five minutes later no one would give me the time of day. Suki could die, don't you understand that? can't help that. Yes, you can. Don't lie to me, Daryl. You deserted me. We had a deal. The acting in this is terrific. But I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Are you do we miss that moment or do we do we not even need it? I, I uh, Or did you not even think about that? Did you see the movie? <laughs> <laughs> as you know, I've seen as you can guess, I've seen it many, many times. Um I don't think you need it, but okay. I but I also admit I've not thought about it actively because the thing is they seem to exhibit power, like I said in the in the intro, in each other's presence. And yeah. it's always before he comes to town, it's happenstance. They don't know they're doing something. They don't know that them all wanting to get out of that that boring lecture right. at the beginning is what causes a rainstorm. They don't they know suspect that it, the three so. of them have. They don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess they. I guess they, yes. Well, they, get, the moment, they, they move named. in on Pfeiffer's face. Really, you know, Miller moves in, zooms in on her face, and when, when she's like, "Wait a minute, I thought the same thing. Did you think the same yes, thing?" Yes, sure. The they they have but, a moment of, "Oh my God, we thought the same thing in our heads," and then a storm happened. Right. And Michelle Pfeiffer is the one who seems to give these things the most credence. She brings it up. She's like, isn't that yes. strange? Isn't that strange? Yes. And Cher is the real, is like, big deal. So it rained and we all want to get out of there. That's just yeah, it's dumb luck. And, and, and yeah, Sarandon's right. in the middle. Right. But yeah, no, they talk about those things. They, the first time they actively come together to do something, to impl- to say like, I think we have powers when we're together. Let's put them to work is in that finale and right. the moment where they make the ground crack. Yeah. That's, that's like a, a, a real si- literally a seismic 
jump in their powers together. But what yes. it does is it splits them apart and it makes them vulnerable yes. to him and all yep. the things he does to the three of them, which is pretty brilliant. And then it makes it. But, so I think it's like laid in there in a way that it doesn't have to be named okay. specifically, yeah. I, I think. I'll because I think we get all of, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't feel like it's a head scratcher to be like, well, how did they come to this conclusion? Because like you say, it's laid in from the beginning that they have a sense yeah. that they make things happen when they're together. And then it gets named to some degree in other scenes. And then after they come together, after being split apart, that's yeah. The book is, yeah, it feels MacGuffin-y to like, Oh, there's a yeah. book with all this stuff here. But, um, does the book get mentioned no. at all by Nicholson before no. anything? They just like know it's in his study and they are using it to, it's like, uh, it's like fine being like, I'm pretty good at like figuring out how to combine spices and things. Like I, I made this, uh, I made this omelet and it was fucking delicious. Why, why don't I actually go to a recipe? What can I do with like a recipe? It's kind of like that. Right. It like, is. They get this book because they're yeah. like, I don't know. There's like a world an occult world that we don't know about, but we have aptitude for. It's like, you know, yes. Harry Potter's a wizard under his uncle's stairs, but he doesn't know <laughs> shit. Then he goes to school and he learns all sorts of shit. He's got books, he's got lectures. Anyway, I'm getting off point, but uh, yes, to your point, I, I think that's an interesting point that the book is not part, is is not introduced earlier. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it matters, but, but you know. Well, that's what I agree with you, Dan. And I, I mean, yeah. I, I think you put it into, you put it into clear perspective for me because I was confused. I had never seen this movie before. Oh, <gasps> First time I'd seen, oh my God. I'd seen bits awesome. and pieces wow. here and there. I, you know, I didn't see it when it first came out and I never seen it since. Uh, and I don't know, it never caught my interest. I knew that it was supposed to be really good. And I, I enjoyed it. I agree with you, Dan. I think it's the performances that put her over the top. The, uh, the yeah. women, especially I'm back and forth with Nicholson. I really <laughs> like him. There are times. And I mean, you could say this about any of these guys that we love, you know, who are, you know, yeah. like Pacino and De Niro and all these guys that, that sort of take the grand choices. You know, we were just, I don't know if we, if you were on the text chain, but we were talking about Pacino and Heat and Michael Mann and Michael Mann said the same thing with Pacino that it was always like the, the third and the fourth takes are always the best. You know, those are the ones that he nailed them. And then like the fifth, sixth and seventh, that's when he would sort of like go crazy. And that's when you get the, the big like, she's got a great ass and give me all you got. And a lot of times he would take those. So and it's great. I love that these amazing actors that we love and revere take those big chances and can go that big and aren't afraid to. And Nicholson's brilliant at it. But and maybe it's just me. There are times and it didn't bother me that much in this. But there are times when I'm going, is it, is it, is he playing too much on the Nicholson persona? So I, I don't know if well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, he's, he's on brand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just tell me, what do you want from us? I want somebody to shirts. That's what I want. I want somebody to pay a little attention to me. I want a little respect. I want somebody to take care of me for a change. Huh? How about that? What do I want? Christ. A little trust. God damn it. Everything I did, I did for you. 
I, again, I thought he was wonderful in this, but I really, to me, it was, it was more about the three women. I shares resting blank face. Oh, she's so beautiful. Stunning. Yeah. She's so like good. Like when she's mm-hmm. just yeah. listening yeah. and it, it's, I, there's something about it that just hit me. Her face just really just hit me in this movie when there's just nothing going on, but she's listening. She's taking it all in. There's something oh, yeah. that's just so- because yeah, m- she's going, finally, I have someone to listen to besides Sonny. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's just something so open and magical about it. But anyway, speaking of magical, yes, that was a question I had when it got to the book. That yeah. to me summed up a lot of, I don't want to call them problems, but- my question with the movie, because I, there were there were there were little uh, holes and inconsistencies that like maybe yeah, I missed stuff. Yeah. Where like where did the book come from? Where did maybe and again maybe I just missed this, but where did the the scars on Nicholson's face in the beginning come from? That he's got like these scratches. They came from sex. They came from sex with Susan Sarandon. Oh, that's, that's after the scene okay. where she like, they, they, yeah. you know, he, he yep. seduces her okay. and unleashes okay. all her passion. And then the next time we see her, she's a completely different right. woman. Like okay. she's so repressed. Yeah. And then she gives over and he's got, got the scratches. scratches that's what I thought face. it might've been. That's from her. But then there was yeah. also yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer at one point when Nicholson shows up at her door, it looks like someone like hit her. She's got these. Yes. She's she got has, bruising. No, she has cold sores yeah, all over her lips. She's oh. starting to get sick. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, no, I don't know if that's... But it, it is very weird. It it's, does get unaddressed yeah. in that moment because the women see it, right, first, don't they? They, no, they never talk it. about yes. it. They never talk about it. She, yeah. It's a thing I've always noticed and thought. I thought, is this just Michelle Pfeiffer had cold sores and they had to shoot and so they just shot her? Because it doesn't... <laughs> look, no, honestly, because it doesn't look like... It really doesn't look like, I mean, it could be makeup, certainly, but there's no reason for it or there's no reason given. And it's, did he he give her an STD? Is it something, it could be something cut, but it's like, it's there. It's just cold sores. But that was, so my, my takeaway from the movie was I couldn't decide if I liked the fact that things weren't explicitly said. Like I kept wondering, it was very subtle, you know, that, that they are, they're basically a, 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 a coven, you know, they're a coven of witches. And mm-hmm. as you said before, they don't realize that they're creating these things, that they have this power when they're together. It's right. never explicitly said. Um, and that's sort of just like, it's never explicitly said that he's the devil. You know, and although yeah. it's more explicitly said that, but not really. It's and he says, I'm used to your average horny little yeah. devil, but I don't think that. And, and that that amazing old woman in the store, uh, I wrote her name. Oh, down. Yeah. She's such an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. What is her name? Helen Lloyd Breed is the elderly <laughs> woman who plays Ms. Biddle. Right. And she's got just, she's just delicious. The cl- camera's in on her so close. But she says at one point, she can't remember his name. She says, isn't that diabolical? Oh, I mean, words yeah. like that make you think. So yeah. There's a lot of devil imagery and illusion, but yeah, they don't come out and say, oh my God, he's the personification of the sure. devil. He doesn't grow a tail. I mean, yeah. he kind of does at the end, but I mean, he doesn't, yeah. you know what I mean? He doesn't look like the conventional devil. It's so funny too. I just want to say this, how if you're one of those big actors 
those juicy actors that we all love that we talk about all the time, you always end up playing the devil at some point. Yeah. Pacino does it <laughs> 10 years later <laughs> in Devil's right. Advocate. But De Niro does it two months before this in Angel, Angel Heart. Heart. Yeah. Oh my God, seen. Angel Heart. Yes. Yeah. But that, right. All those big actors wind up playing the Louis devil. Louis Cipher. Not, not, as, yes. Uh, yes. not as subtle wow. in that one. Not quite yes. as subtle. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so but um, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I'm just, I was back and forth. I, I liked the fact that it was so, because I like that in movies and stories where there's this fantastical element, but it's not directly, uh, you know, addressed and you don't really know, like, is this really happening uh, or is it in their heads or whatnot? And, yeah. but by the time it got to the end and, and I, and I found it interesting that, you know, there was this thing that the way he gets in there is that he's sort of the personification of what every woman really wants. You know, what every woman mm -hmm. is like, we live in this terrible patriarchal society. And here's this guy who was like, I'm none of that. I just want to listen. Yeah. I want you to yep. be you. I want, but really he's still manipulating them, you know, yeah, and absolutely. that's what yeah. it turns out in yeah. the end. And so I'm with you, Dan. I wasn't sure. I kept going back and forth. I'm like, do I want more of a grand, bold statement from them with this yeah. or is it more interesting that it's not there? You know, it's almost like the that's exactly where I the am. less said, maybe it's, maybe that's a more adventurous choice. I mean, yeah. all in all, I liked mm -hmm. the movie. I wasn't as blown away from it as I, as I thought I was going to be. Um, mm -hmm. But again, maybe because I'm coming at it late. I didn't, I hadn't seen it before. Uh, Richard Jenkins, for my first thought, I'm like, holy shit, Rick, Richard Jenkins really is in everything. He's in yes. everything and he's yeah, before great. Before we even knew who he was. He's yeah. like this is the that first guy. time I ever saw him. I remember you mentioned that in another episode. You talked about him in this movie. He's great. Uh, and Veronica Cartwright is, holy shit. I'm uh, singing it between like this alien invasions yep. of the body snatchers. Like yes, no one really plays like too. hysteria, like Veronica yes. Cartwright. She really does. Come on, please. Let's go home. Come on. You employ one of them, Clyde. That's nobody's business. Uh, oh, that is everybody's business. Come on, let's go, let's go. Come on. It was, it was a paradise. And then a serpent came into that garden. Oh, for God's sake, Felicia, just stop. Please, stop, stop. Oh, Clyde. I have nothing against a good fuck. There is danger here. Jenkins, to me, it's the same feeling I had, and I couldn't put as much of a name to it, as when I saw Philip Seymour Hoffman in Scent of a Woman. And I was like, mm. who is this sure. guy? Because he doesn't even seem like an actor. Like, how is he? He just <laughs> seems like the person going through. I mean, you know what yeah. I mean? Like the greatest compliment you can give. That's and it doesn't mean that, you know, and, and Richard Jenkins is, his portrayals are so rich and fun and entertaining. It's not like, Oh, he was so, he was so real. I didn't know, but that's yeah. Hoffman too. Hoffman is that kid in scent of a woman is he's mannered and he's doing all sorts of stuff. It's a real performance, but it's so sure. exactly that the essence of that person. You just feel like, I know I've seen that person in the world. <laughs> what is it that you think you're doing? direct with you as I know how. I thought you might appreciate it. And um, anyway, I always like a little pussy after lunch. What do you say? I love the fact that when he first shows up, there's always like the sound of a bee. 
around him. There's <laughs> always flies. Yeah, there's always yeah, the sense fly. of death. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, always yeah. the yeah. sense yeah. of death. You're exactly right. There's always rot. Yeah, there's rot rot. Yes. yes, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Which makes me think maybe he's a lower level demon. He's not the devil because oh. he does have the <laughs> he does have a line or two about like. Yeah, they. Do. I wish I could remember. I know what you're talking about, down. Dan. But he says something like, "Yeah, they just leave us down, down here, here for us to to sort us out, to sort it out, or something like that." There's a line like that in there where it's like, "Oh, hang on a minute, he's he, he's actually floundering and flopping and trying stuff. He's not all powerful. He's just he's just sort of a you know he's been he's been left to." left to his own devices here and he doesn't have like, and people like a real have fallen angel yes like, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah exactly he's not he's not the evil equivalent of god he's just you know um somebody who's who's flopping around here like everybody else he just and he has to actually seduce them he can't it's not hypnosis that's the other no. thing it's it's he it's not like dracula where he looks in your eyes and suddenly you're a zombie following him around he's got to actually go through the seduction and make them want him for, for real Nicholson has like probably four gigantic showstopper acting scenes in this, but the one I've always loved, the one in the church is the, is the famous one and it's incredible (laughs) and has an incredible monologue that I used for auditions in high school. (laughs) I was like, ah, this is the best monologue I've ever seen. (laughs) Talking about women, a mistake, or did he do it to us on purpose? purpose. I did it at Hofstra at the the Halloween party. I I was, I was Van Horn and uh, Annette. Uh, Heather Robinson and Carolyn, Carolyn Emery. I remember that. Were the they witches. did the they did the witches oh and uh, and I did the speech there. Yeah, and whatever. you gave a shit about <laughs> doing is... too many songs of Spinal Tap. Jesus Christ! Only did you do did you do songs of Spinal yeah. Tap? Yeah, you do one. You get one. You do you one did thing. An you do a monologue. song. Only oh. a monologue is shorter than a song. No, and and a monologue is much shorter than three songs. <laughs> no. You don't think God makes mistakes? Of course he does. We all make mistakes. <laughs> of course, we make mistakes, they call it evil. When God makes mistakes, they call it nature. <laughs> so what do you think? Women, a mistake? Or did he do it to us on purpose? Because I really want to know. Because if it's a mistake, maybe we could do something about it. Find a cure. Invent a vaccine. Build up our immune systems. (laughs) It's so interesting because it's, uh, you know, especially to look at it now, Yes. 35 years later, it feels so simplistic. And even in the 80s, I think it it, it might have read that way because it, you know, I read the book. I read the book. Did you? I, I read it because I loved the movie so much. And I was like, well, I want to read the book, you know, as if I it's was going to be reading right? a novelization of the, <laughs> and it's so wildly different. It, it oh, like I can't, okay. I read it back in, in college. So it's, so that's a very complex portrayal of, of uh, feminism and feminine power and energy. And mm. this one does feel more, you know, this, the film is more rudimentary. Yeah. It's interesting because I've read so much about it at the time and I think this is such a, I, I think it's, it's fantastic, funny, delightful. I, it, it feels very, it doesn't feel like a hodgepodge to me, but when you 
read about the way the film was made, it's one of those things where you say, oh, it's kind of remarkable that it hangs together at all. And that's because George Miller is a strong director, really strong director, brilliant director. And the cast is uniformly excellent. And the production design is fantastic. And you've got a great score by John Williams and you have all these things that hold it together. But apparently the producer on this was that infamous producer, John Peters, who was also behind Rain Man and Batman and lots and lots of other things and is is a, is a character in Licorice Pizza played by um, Bradley Cooper. He's an actual character in that. Wow. He was well known as, as uh, Barbara Streisand's boyfriend and hairdresser. Oh, and then he became right. a movie producer. Peter Berg spoke about him. Yes, 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 yes. yes, 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 yes the Caddyshack episode and Kevin Smith has been on record about how crazy he was when he was trying to do a Superman movie for him. And, uh, and he the interviews I read interviews with George Miller back in the eighties, back when the movie came out saying it was tough because the producer would come in every day and whatever was on TV the night before that he saw or whatever was number one at the box office the weekend before he'd be like, we need to make it more like aliens. Now we need to make it funnier, like ruthless people. We need to make it like the, it was literally like, we need to make the movie more like whatever is number one this week. And so they were constantly trying to manage him and his expectations for the movie and also make the thing they were making. And then it was also, like I said, like this idea of like, well, we're going to, and, and Tim Burton has said this about Nicholson too. Like, it doesn't matter how many takes you do with him. He will give you a completely different performance on each take. If you want, you know, I mean, he'll do what he needs to do for, you know, for consistency's sake and continuity. He's not like a, like a loose cannon where it's like, Oh, I don't know what we're going to get this time. He's not that it's in, it's his craft. It's like, I will give you lots of things to choose from. And, And he said like, you know, we went from like, you know, utterly realistic to way over the top crazy and we would do that with almost every scene. And then, yeah, the tone of the film felt like it wanted big, crazy Jack Nicholson. And that's what we did, you know. And so Nicholson yeah. comes in for both a lot of praise for this movie and a lot of criticism. But I think it works. I mean, the, the movie's consistent in its style. And it's, I mean, so. Uh, well, it kind of needs to do that, right? It needs, if you're going to go for like the seventh take in one big speech, it's weird yeah. if he's like at a totally different. Sure. No, but level, I mean the whole the movie, the I could, hearing that oh, yeah. there, it was so problematic in the filming of it. Yeah. To, like you said, to George Miller's credit, I mean, it's really, it's a cohesive film. So we had a thing where he'd do often long takes. Each one, it was like turning up the volume. Women, a mistake? Or did he do it to us on purpose? Well, a little bit more. Because of it's a Until it went too far. <laughs> and he was completely in command Those of what he was doing. Yeah. As I said before, he was he was one of the great privileges of my life. There's something about that guy, incredibly loyal. And twice I was totally happy to, to quit the movie. It was just crazy. And he was the one who kept me in there. He said, all you gotta do is look at the work, look at the dailies. We're doing great work, hang in there. And he became my sort of guardian angel and negotiated me through all of this. How many uh, Sheila takes in in the Jack Nicholson take number? (laughs) Would you put it? Would this be a take one or a take 10 or somewhere in between? And let's (sighs) translate that to Sheila's. 
for the sake of our <laughs> listeners so they don't get confused. Good thinking. I'm going to say it's a, it's a, I'm going to say it's a, it's the 7.75 <laughs> take of, uh, of Jack Nicholson and or Sheila. 7.75. Okay. Wow. I'm surprised. Cause I was going to, I'll go. Go ahead. I think you liked it more than I did. I didn't dislike it, but I feel like I'm going to give it an, an eight. Hey, Chilas, yeah. I don't know why I can't go to eight, but I can't quite go to eight. Okay, that's fine. I, you know me. I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm a, I'm a nine yeah. easily on this. I'm a nine because I love. I mean, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. But I also see the. Uh, here's the thing. I, I see the cracks in the same. I see the weird. You know, there's some weird special effects. There's a couple. Th- there's some things that don't quite work. Yeah, it, the tennis scene is a bit lengthy. Yeah, I think that one's fun. Yeah. Uh, the scene at the end, which I love, when he's like galumphing around the mansion as a a beast. I think all of that is so funny. All his physicality and the sound effects of the grunts and the groans and the makeup. It's so over the top. But then things like when she falls off the railing and then she's and they're like, laugh, Jane. And then you'll like that part. That's a bad effect. It's It's a bad effect. And it takes it. There's no reality to the, you know, when she falls, she falls like she's floating to begin with. It, right. Like little things like that that are like, oh, you'd be better off without that. You didn't need it. I forgot but, about that yeah, part. Yeah. yeah. No, that just brought me down to a 7.5. <laughs> just that moment. Is, I'll keep it at an 8. I'll keep it at an 8. Is anyone gonna, anyone else going to change? You're a move, creep. You're a move, creeps. Oh, you change it? That, oh, that, I just have to oh. say again, which is Vistwick is really wonderful. That's at least a nine, <laughs> might be a 9.5. Hey, you know what? I like that review. I'll buy that <laughs> review for a dollar. Fred has done it again. Still, after 98 episodes, segueing seamlessly, delectably, deliciously, not robotically, the way a cop might. <laughs> and there's my bad segue into the untouchables. <laughs> Kevin Costner plays robotic <laughs> cop Elliot Ness. He does. <laughs> but before that, RoboCop. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you RoboCop. He's not a guy, he's a machine. In a brutally violent, near-apocalyptic Detroit, evil corporation OCP, short for Omni Consumer Products, and of course, an anagram for COP, wins a contract from the city's government to privatize the police force. To test their crime-eradicating cyborgs, the company leads street cop Alex Murphy, played by Peter Weller, into an armed confrontation with the sadistic crime lord Clarence Boddicker, played deliciously by that 70s show's Kurtwood Smith, so that they can use what is left of Murphy's body to support their untested RoboCop prototype. But when RoboCop learns of the company's nefarious plans and begins to recall flickers of his lost humanity, he turns on his corporate masters. Also starring Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, and Miguel Ferrer, RoboCop is as much of a Frankenstein monster as its lead character, combining director Paul Verhoeven's cruder, blunter, more exploitative instincts with his flair for sharp and incisive social satire. It also features a wildly effective theme by Basil Polidurus that deftly weaves the film's superhero 
both spirit and its subversive humor into a musical cue rife with tongue-in-cheek grandiosity. RoboCop was a surprise hit when it was released on July 17, 1987, taking in $8 million over its opening weekend on its way to a total box office of $53.4 million. Fred and Dan, what did you boys think of RoboCop? I had never seen this movie before. Oh my God. Yeah, I'd never seen it. And, I re- and, and because I remember when it came out, I was sort of excited because Peter Weller was in it. And I really liked Peter Weller from this movie that was on cable all the time called Firstborn. Did you ever see that? With Terry oh, Gar. God. And it was the kid from, oh, what was he from? What was he from? The Manhattan Project. That was his name. I always confuse him with the kid from The Last Starfighter. Uh, Cynthia Nixon, I believe, was in this, too. Um, Yeah, and Peter Weller plays this abusive, the abusive boyfriend of Terry Garr. Oh, Corey, uh, was it Corey? Corey Haim was in it. Yep. This movie was on cable all the time, so I was, and Peter Weller. Oh, my God, Sarah Jessica Parker, Robert Downey Jr. That's right. Yes, yes. It was a very young Robert Downey Jr. Maybe Cynthia Nixon wasn't in it. Maybe I'm thinking of, it was Sarah Jessica Parker. Cynthia Nixon was in The Manhattan Project. Anyway. Peter Weller was in it and he was really fucking scary. So I remember, <laughs> you know, when this movie came out, I was like, oh, cool. It's that guy. But, and I've spoken about this before. I was a Starlog guy. My friend Damon was a Fangoria guy. Robocop was in Fangoria. I was like, nope, don't want to see it. And I remember seeing a review about it. And hearing that it was really violent. So I was yeah. a little scared. And holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> I was know. I right to be scared? Because fuck the violence yeah. in this movie. Uh, yeah, if you're not expecting is, it too. I mean, whoa. It fucking knocked me off my seat. I was like, <laughs> holy shit. I, like This was like Toxic Avenger yes. level violence. Yeah. I mean, yes. and and also like... The violence and the gore and the just like the reveling in it, which I think is mm. the point. And it's like, I mean, he does it in, in Total Recall as well. You know, I mean, it's almost oh, yeah. in Total Recall. It gets almost. You ever see Starship Troopers? You ever see that movie? Yes. I still Whoa. haven't seen the, that, that, that in its seems entirety. Like the, most. the most. Yeah. But I don't know because I haven't seen it in a long time. But oh, that does seem especially violent. gruesome. Yeah. yeah. I think Total Recall is probably his most palatable Right. Maybe. I, think you were right. For a second. I think it's actually, I mean, it was a big hit because it was the, his biggest hit because of Schwarzenegger, but also I think as violent as it is, that one seems to, you know, be something, something a little a more, more there's like, for general audiences yeah. than I think Robo, even RoboCop. It seems a bit more ridiculous in it. I don't know. Like you can, yeah. but it, it, it is. Sure, Jeez, I mean, sci-fi. When Schwarzenegger's yeah. holding that body going down the escalator and they're just blowing it away. I was like, Jesus. Oh my. <laughs> using was, a human shield. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. But this was Ooh, really, I remember, like I said, there was a review. It might've been Siskel and Ebert. It probably was Siskel and Ebert talking about the violence and then seeing some some images in a Fangoria magazine and just going, oh shit, I didn't realize it, it was that. No, I'm going to stay away. I know what you're saying. I know what yeah. you're talking about. It's, it's the guy melted waste at the guy. end, right? Yeah. Toxic waste guy. I remember seeing that photo in yeah. a magazine and I was yeah. like, the great oh my Crane. God, this is part of... Uh-huh. I did not, I fucking I did love not that know guy. the actor's name. Kurt w- he was Kurt great Smith, in this. Paul McCrane and Ray Wise constantly play creeps. You know, Paul yeah. McCrane is... um. I, the only yeah. nice guy role friend? I remember him from was in Fame. He was in the movie Fame. 
But then oh he God. was like the douchebag on ER. He always plays sort of like a douchebag. And he's wonderful. Yes. He's 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 yep. great. But I feel like those three. But um oh, he's in Hotel New Hampshire. He's oh yes, you are correct. I forgot about that. Oh, wow. I enjoy him and everything. But it was uh yeah, there was something very like B movie, like ground you know, grindhouse, <laughs> uh yeah, like an exploitation yeah. movie. But but like full satire, you know, and right up front, it's just like with the news and Lisa Gibbons. Uh, yes, I didn't that expect any of it. Brilliant. And I really. And it's all technology going wrong or people or, or people trying to kill each other with nukes or it's, yeah. it sets up the world. This sort of it's not quite the far future, but it's a little bit into the future to be dystopia for the 80s. Yeah. And it's quite brilliant. And and, and believable in the, in the same way that like something yes. like Children of Men is always I always consider to be one of like the great oh sci fi apocalyptic movies because oh God, movie. it doesn't seem it's in the future, but it's not really in the future. It's it's happening. Exactly. Everything seems so plausible and that's to me the, the best yeah. type of movies and this does that you know i feel like if you saw this mm -hmm. in the 80s it wouldn't be too far off from where we were but i i don't know i thought and it, the commercials the and commercials all stuff, it yeah. was great. great i thought it was so fun i, I really it's so funny i really did yeah. i i was i wasn't expecting it um you know, again, it still retains that. I mean, there's definitely like a B movie feel. I mean, Nancy Allen, you know, C, C, <laughs> C. It ain't just B. There's a lot of C in this. Uh, it's not quite but yeah. trauma, but it's on its way to Tromaville. Yeah, it's like living right. Yeah, I think it's a lot, there, but I think it's a lot smarter than what those absolutely. movies are. I think there's yes. a there's a point to it. You know, yeah. it it, yeah, it it has a brain. It definitely has a brain. RoboCop. Who is he? What is he? Where does he come from? He is OCP's newest soldier in their revolutionary crime management program. OCP spokesmen claim that the fearless machine has crooks on the run in old Detroit. Today, kids at Lee Iacocca Elementary School got to meet in person what their parents only read about in comic books. Robo, excuse me, Robo, any special message for all the kids watching at home? Ow. Stay out of trouble. Uh, mm. you know, I thought, I, I don't know. I, I, I really, now again, I, I watched it. I'm remembering it now because I watched it back in June when I thought we were going to yeah. be before, like we all went away for the summer. So I'm, I'm forgetting a lot. And I was just like, I found, I literally wrote my notes down on an envelope and I lost it and I just found it. It was under the bed. I was like, Oh God, Great. thank God. So I was looking my at it. Notes. Yeah, and I was like, Oh, now I remember everything. Uh, They're on my SAG dues envelope. Yeah, pretty thought? much not too far off, but I, I really enjoyed, you know, for the most part, I really enjoyed it. I thought that the, the POV sequence, that whole sequence yeah. of him dying, going to the, the operating movie. table. Yes. Best thing in the movie. Really It cool. saves the movie because Ooh. only in that, and I thought this because I was looking at my notes before, because the scene that precedes it, him getting, is so brutal oh. and so off-putting and so exploitative yeah. and disgusting and too much. And I'm like... Get, I get to the point of fuck you movie because you know too. how I am about these hyperviolent yeah. things on my like, like toxic avenger. Toxic and avenger. I, was like, yeah. I was like, fuck you. I don't care how funny and brilliant that satire is at the beginning. You've like led me astray. You let me think it was going to be one thing. Now you're making me sit through this. Fuck you. And then it immediately goes into that sequence. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is pretty brilliant. Yeah. Agree 100%, brilliant. Jay. I was the same yeah. way. It was real. I was yep. like, this is too much. This is too much. Yeah. 
And those three guys, or the four guys, I should say, they're so, oh, there's nothing God. redeeming about, I mean, they're fucking great. They're really, they're, great. they're really good because there is nothing redeeming about them, which is <laughs> sort of brilliant because then like you don't care when they meet their completely violent, no. gory demises. Right. But no. it's and that Kurtwood Smith is still kind of funny and char- I mean he doesn't have funny lines really but he's, he's funny. So there is good. something he's so yeah. good he's so kind of funny and charming and like you kind of you you hate him but you aren't like Ugh, I can't look at you right. he's very compelling. Yeah. Hey, Dicky boy, how's tricks? That thing is still alive. I don't know what you're talking about. The police officer who arrested you, the one you spilled your guts to. Take a look at my face, dick. He was trying to kill me. He's a cyborg, you idiot. I don't have time for this bullshit. Suit yourself, Clarence. But Delta City begins construction in two months. That's two million workers living in trailers. That means drugs, gambling, prostitution. One man can control it all, Clarence. Well, I guess we're going to be friends after all. Richard. He's very compelling. I'll tell you, Verhoeven, something I noticed too, he he loves two things with Ronnie Cox. First of all, he loves... <laughs> yeah, his, he, those, I know the those two things. Those are the two things. The Cox. <laughs> he loves Ronnie's putting Cox. Ronnie Cox on video messages on TVs because he does the same yeah, thing in Total Recall. Total Recall. That's right. This is the thing. first. I'm like, wow. Like Verhoeven just loves to see Ronnie Cox on a TV giving like a smarmy video message. Yeah. The also thing with Ronnie Cox... Or Ronnie Cox just likes doing stuff from home. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also thought the other thing... Be on if, I, if, I, if I have at least three scenes where I'm basically yeah. in my pajamas. The other thing, other than like that amazing POV shot, I'm like, this is also maybe the first movie where an entire scene is played out, shot between Ronnie Cox's shitting legs. Could you die? <laughs> There was a shot. I totally forgot in, that. When he's in the stall taking a shit, and you I see the POV that. from between his legs, and I'm going, "Where? Uh, oh, oh! That camera is in between the legs of a man shitting right now." <laughs> there, there might be a shot of Ned Beatty in Deliverance between Ronnie Cox's legs, as I recall. But so it might be the second time. But I think you're right. But I, enjoy, I thought, I thought Peter Weller did a really good. His the movement. I was sure, and I read Great that movement. he. I read somewhere that yeah. he spent he spent a lot of time working with a mime, uh, Moni Yakim or Yakim. Oh yeah, you can, um, yeah, that makes perfect. I sense. mean, yeah. I, I really thought his movement was sort of fucking brilliant. It sort of blew me it's away. It's so good. You think it's not him? Yeah, you, you exactly. think it's not his? You, yeah. you think it's not the actor's responsibility? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels so. It's like it's like oh, that's a. That's a mechanism that he's yeah, in or that somebody that. else. It, and it's that's, uh, I, I kind of didn't even realize at first. That and Weller was, is of the theater. He's a theater guy too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he gets, he gets what that is. What, he what looks to do like with Jeff, that. doesn't he, Dan? He looks like Jeff Gonzalez a little bit. Don't you see a resemblance <laughs> there? Yeah, don't you see all. a resemblance? That's oh, I see a resemblance there. That's, that's Don Dockin. The, the bone structure. Don Dockin, what yeah, do you think? Yeah, and his friendship with Don Dockin. Your move, creep. Could you die? <laughs> 
now I saw this opening weekend, I think, or the first week really? or so that it was out. I did see this in the theater. Wow. And I was like, well, because I, because I did not expect it to be what it was. And I think <laughs> I went with my father and my sister. <laughs> I can't believe my sister who was entering freshman year was with yeah. me watching this, but I'm almost, I'm almost positive. She was, I'd have to ask her because there were a few times that just my dad and I went to movies at this point, this mm-hmm. summer too, like Beverly Hills cop too. I think just he and I went to go see, but, uh, so yeah, I, th- whatever, but I saw this in the theater and I was like, what the, and I think maybe <laughs> I had, because I had seen, I didn't read Fangoria, but I did read Starlog, and I definitely saw the picture of the guy melted of that uh, that one you know guy what? at maybe, the end with the top. Maybe waist. I saw it in Starlog and that. thinking like, no, this should be in Fangoria. This is too much for Starlog. <laughs> sure, right, yeah, yeah, it really was intense. So I did know it was going to go to gross places, but I had no idea it was going to be as hyper violent as it was. But I also had no idea it was going to be as funny as it was. But the funny thing is, as and I think I was a. <laughs> I only in later years, like at like this rewatch, I've probably only seen this movie two or three times ever because it is so hard to watch. I think I watched it in the movie theater and I probably watched it on video while I was still in high school with my friends. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if I've seen it in like 20, 30 years. And I was really taken by how sharp and funny the, the commercial parodies and the newscaster stuff was. I thought it was just so good. And I know I thought it was realized it was funny and supposed to be funny then, but not to the degree that which I can recognize it and appreciate it yeah. now. Red alert. Red alert. Red alert. You crossed my line of debt. You haven't dismantled your MX stockpile. Pakistan is threatening my border. That's it, Buster. No more military aid. <laughs> Nuka. Get them before they get you. Another quality home game from Butler Brothers. But yeah, like Paul Verhoeven is such a funny, he's so funny because when he hits, but it's got to be just right because his stuff is so extreme and so intense that it's the alchemy just has to be there. He just has to get the mixture of ingredients exactly right for his stuff to play for me, which I think you're absolutely right. But then other things like showgirls, worship groupers, which I do find funny and smart. I always forget that Paul did showgirls. Oh yeah. Oh my God. That's right. Things like basic instinct, right? He did basic instinct. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, very, very different, but I mean, there's some things I really go with him on a couple things Mm -hmm. and then other things I don't. And this is one that I go with him on, but I'm, and I'm shocked. Like sometimes I'm shocked, you know, you guys have said this too. You're like, Oh, you don't like horror movies. You don't like scary movies. I can't believe you like blah. I can't believe you. In some ways it's hard to believe that I like exactly Texas Chainsaw where I'm like, I don't know. It's just done in such a way that I recognize its brilliance. I mm-hmm. recognize the sense of humor. It's got to have a sense of, if it doesn't have a sense of humor yes. or something right. uh, going on above it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like above the violence, then I can't get on board. And this but starts this off immediately that. with that, with the commercials and, it and tells everything. You that right, yeah, away right off. So yeah. that it buys you some, yep. it, it buys you some grace when it gets really, really heavy and violent. And then, like I said, it snaps right into probably the most brilliant sequence in the movie with his POV. And it's so sad too. This has Very a lot sad. of yeah. so much ache in the movie. Yeah. He's on. What's the story? We were able to save the left arm. What? I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Now lose the arm, okay? Jesus, Morton. Can, can, can you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. We're gonna blank his memory anyway. 
Well, I think we should lose the arm. What, what do you think, Johnson? Well, he signed the release forms when he joined the force. He's legally dead. We can do pretty much what we want to. Lose the arm. Shut him down. Prep him for surgery. The second one, Robocop 2, oh, yeah. is... It doubles down on the satire in a big way. Robocop 2 is pretty much a comedy, if you've never seen really? it. It's directed, by Irvin, it's directed by Irvin Kirshner and Price Strikes Back. Get out of here! Directed, yeah. so how about that? So, I just yeah. watched a video about it on, yeah. uh, you know, I've talked about that Red Letter Media that I, yes. I, I they just did. A, they do something called review because like, they yeah. mostly review newer movies, or, but they every once in a while will go back and look at something. And they just did one on RoboCop, too. And that's when I remembered Kirshner had directed. But also the thing I wanted to say, because I have never seen that one. But that one was written funny. by Frank Miller, oh, the comic yes, writer. Who, right, and, right. and this, and it makes sense that he would write it because this movie has a lot. It, it came out a year after the Dark Knight Returns comic book, which has a lot uh-huh. of this kind of thing. Totally. Like the, the Batman of Dark Knight Returns is very RoboCop. And I wouldn't be surprised if that comic maybe even influenced this a little bit because there's a lot of television talking heads and a lot of yes. sly satire yes. in that comic book. Wow. And it's also a very dystopian, ugly, but very 19. It's not supposed to be the future. It's supposed to be the 1980s. Yeah. Reagan's a character in it, everything else. I mean, so this movie, Robocop feels a lot like the comic book Dark Knight Returns. You're right, Jason. And so it wow. makes perfect sense that Frank Miller had a hand in this, in at least one of the sequels. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know anything about RoboCop three, but yeah, yeah That's I, I would like to see RoboCop two now because I, if you said it's good, you think it's good. You like I, it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I do remember that they double down, maybe triple down on the fact that it's a satire. There, there's more of those commercials and news breaks and it is funnier. I don't remember uh-huh. if it's more violent, less violent. It might be more. I don't remember. It's not Paul Verhoeven. It's, it's less Kirshner. because it's Irving Kirshner. Yeah, I would think it was less if I memory recalls, but I do remember it being funnier. And I remember critics going, oh, this is now this is fun. You know what I mean? Now this is now we're having fun with this. The first one was like, whoa, too, too jarring. And oh, wow. uh, that's my memory of RoboCop. Um, my well, they turned it into the, comic books and cartoons. They turned it into a cartoon series, which is really weird. That, they, that, yeah. that it went on to be that, and toys for been kids. Kind of a franchise, so. yeah. It's been it's been you know developed over the years. Well, I mean, and, they and set him up. He's like, they basically make him like a superhero. You know, like Absolutely. that's the whole thing. It's yeah. like a su- it, It's very much like a superhero movie in terms of the origin story, and then he's created, and then you just see him going on these little missions. You know, mm-hmm. and it's that's sort right. of like a Solving first crimes, and then it gets per- and then it gets personal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And he's and and I love that scene where he. He figures out who he is. He figures out yeah, his identity. Yeah, that was pretty that's, lovely. That's pretty, yeah. pretty neat. I thought it ended um, a bit abruptly. I mean, it was a good ending, but yes, I was like, oh, it's... Which is so funny, oh, right? It's a bizarre, yep. like, smash cut to the word Robocop. Robocop. Yeah. In, in not the font. In, in some <laughs> other font. It's like, it was it's very... It's just the plainest font. It's just, yeah, yeah it's just, there's, no, like, no font. Like, like you've Helvetica. just seen Robocop. That's it. The movie <laughs> yeah. is finished. Which I think is a, which is a joke in and of itself. I think think that's just part of the, the satirical sense of humor of the movie. I think that feel to it. It definitely, I agree with you. I was, I was sort of taken aback by it, but I said, but it it does seem to make sense. It goes with the, 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 how the rest of the movie has been going so far. It feels like it ends like a trauma movie or something like that, especially with that, the way that that toxic guy dies is right out of trauma. Um, I remember I, I definitely did not see this in the theater. It was not allowed. Absolutely yeah. disallowed from seeing this. 
friends had seen it. Oh my God, Robocop, Robocop, it's awesome. <laughs> Disallowed. <You know. laughs> right. We, we gotta, we gotta think back to the, the fact that another thing that was happening in the eighties throughout the, the early and into mid eighties was parents were, became more and more and more and more concerned with violence. Not, you know, it was, it was, um, a thing that was very much on the news. It was mm. on the rise in movies, you know, whether it was, you know, um, Halloween and Friday the 13th, or whether it was the latest Schwarzenegger movie or Stallone movie. It was, we gotta, we gotta keep our kids away from violence. And then this thing hits and it goes, it takes it next level. And I remember watching it on cable with friends. And when the, the, um, the Ed 280, the big machine, the Ronnie Cox, you know, uh, version, uh, the, the machine that he's trying to get done shoots that guy at the beginning. Oh my God. And he's shooting him and shooting yes. him and shooting him. My, I remember people laughing. You know? yeah. And I heard that people laughed in the movie theater when that happened because it was Absolutely. so ridiculous and over the it gets top. Off the and top. I, and I did not laugh when I saw it on, on TV. I was like, that's sad. That's I'm I'm disturbed and saddened by it. I didn't understand that that kind of Verhoeven's thing is let's see how far we can push this to see if we can get it to be funny. Oh, you didn't get that as a uh, as an eighth grader that that was Verhoeven's thing. Why would you? I mean, it's like, but and there's (laughs) your reason for me to not have seen it on cable or on video. There's your reason right there is because it, it is actually. We don't get the nuance of what he's doing if it is nuanced. You know, I also know yeah. friends who who so, <laughs> sat through, you know, watched Star Trek ship troopers and made it to the end of that and didn't realize, oh, the humans are Nazis and the bugs are the yeah. good guys. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. They were like, wasn't that cool? It's like, yeah, but you know that you're supposed to be scared of the people by the end of this, A right? A lot of people did not understand it. I, I, I would, I would actually like to watch it again and and Verhoeven is tough for me but I would like to watch it again because I I remember when it first came out even even some reviews weren't getting that right uh, which is crazy to me but like, you know it. what I mean like yeah. clearly these are SS soldiers I mean, SS yeah. and the bugs are are trying to defend themselves and, and yeah, survive and they're being massacred it's like people didn't get it they just thought then, it was cool yeah. sci-fi movie it was it's very it was very and it was being judged on oh, like I remember there being articles about oh there's a lot of there's a lot of nudity in this or there's or like oh is the violence too much and over right. the top and but but it's it's bugs. It doesn't. I was like, exactly. you're not, you know, and I didn't see it mm-hmm. in the theater, right. but I saw it like shortly after on video. And I remember sure. watching it. Me too. Yeah, Verhoeven's really into where I was when I saw it too. And too. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. God bless him. Um, but, uh, <laughs> not back. Wait. Um, Ali McBeal but I, but did. I remember watching it and thinking, did, did it? Did Paul Verhoeven direct oh. Ali McBeal? Yeah, didn't they? They had, they had the co-ed bathrooms, I always remember. <laughs> I'll ask my friend Greg. I was like, that's weird. I, am not, I was like, I'm not shitting in front of Callista Flockhart. Or Flockhart. Oh, that's what Harry said. Oh, it still says. <laughs> I loved Callista Cockfart in Ally McFeel. <laughs> Saw it in a hotel. Saw it in a hotel. <laughs> the or you Fred's, just heard Gene Shallot review it. Fred's laughing at Cockfart. Um, the the but in the rewatch now I get it. Now I get what Verhoeven's attempting. I still think it's too much. I still think we don't need it that much. But he's Agreed. pushing. He's pushing it. He's pushing it. He's pushing it. And he's a sicko. He's, he's a sicko. He's kind of a sicko. And I kind of 
we need sickos. We need, we need <laughs> some different brands of, you know, we need John Waters. We need Troma. Yes. We need this. And we need, you know, some, some, some <laughs> you know, we need, we need, need Troma, but, but, but there are things that, that, that push the boundaries and so that we know where the boundaries are. Right. And, um, in this movie, you know, I, despite, um, my sort of dislike of Peter Weller in the beginning part of the movie. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not in, I, I just feel like I'm not buying him. I don't know what it is, but yeah. once he's RoboCop, I'm in, I am totally into his performance. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, you know, I feel for him and I, and I understand, um, where the empathy is for this sort of robot character And the movie does it for what it's worth. does a very good job of setting that up and the payoff works, the payoff, absolutely work it, it yeah. moves it has pace it's well put together i love the theme i'm glad that you mentioned that i love the music the, the music is so you know it's very it's sort of terminatory but it's just a left turn from that you know and it gets like a little stirring and raw right yeah, yeah, yeah. it has uh, it's like it's like it's this march and it's it's like it's it's amazing because it does it has like a a strain it's like a good theme it's a good heroic muscular theme yes. that also has a sense of self-parody about that, it somehow and it. it's yeah. just really it's yeah. kind of like the, the it's and maybe my favorite thing about the movie is that <laughs> theme for some yeah. reason it's just I don't know rah why. rah enough to be just a little right. bit self-reflexive right. what yeah. the tone of the yeah, whole, the whole thing movie is, is yeah. a bit of self-parody yeah. yes. everything about it has it has to be. And I What's think it's always that hard for me is when I, with any of these movies is like what you said about Starship Troopers, when people don't, they don't get, yeah. they don't see that. They don't see the satire. And then you say, is that a failing of the viewer? Is that a failing of the uh, film? Because I don't love the idea that this became toys and comic books for right. kids and Halloween costumes. Yeah. I really don't. That's the no. icky part of it for me that keeps me from loving it as much as I kind of like and admire it. I don't know. I don't know why. That's the nature of society. I mean, look at what's happening with Barbie now. I mean, Barbie's is brilliant satire and you have all these Hollywood Mm. movies now saying, Oh, well we're going to make from what I've been reading, they want to do movies about other toys. And it's sort of Mm -hmm. like, you're missing the point. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. not about taking other toys and making movies about them. It's about this particular about toy and, and, and what it yeah. means to us as a society. But Fred, I, when the strike is over, if you if you don't audition for the Manchi Chi movie, I'm going to be upset. I am oh so soft and oh so cuddly. With my thumb in my mouth, I am so neat. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, see, oh, I'm, oh, now I'm reconsidering it as he fellates his thumb. Listeners, that's only a thumb. How many Sheilas would you give this Robocop? This Robocop. This Ronnie Cox. Robocox. Ronnie Robocox. Uh, well, by the way, uh, Miguel Ferrer, very good. Oh, really good. Yes, Miguel Ferrer. Excellent. The late very great good. Miguel Ferrer. Excellent. Oh, was he passed? Excellent. He passed a while back. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, one other thing, uh, Phil Tippett, you know, did the, uh, uh-huh. all the ED 209, yeah. all that, yes. all that stop motion stuff. Cause it felt very like Jedi. Totally. Like, like and the, you know, who did all the, 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 the and, you know, did the rest of the, the special Jedi. effects was Rob Botton from the thing. Oh, uh, from the thing who I think mm-hmm. also maybe. I might be wrong about this. I thought he also created the 
the effects at the end of Witches of Eastwick, like that weird Nicholson. Oh, but I gotta check no. that and see. Yeah, yeah. If I'm if I'm right, I'll keep it in. If I'm wrong, I'll take it that, out. But you won the contest. That twisted. sort of slug mini slug uh, imp version of, of Nicholson looks very looks like it's right out of the thing. Yeah. You're right. That's I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. I might, if that be, was I might be wrong about that. But anyway. Um, I will go seven point two five. Seven point two five. Um, yeah. Kurtwood Smith comb over hairs or Sheila's. <laughs> I'm feeling very uh, generous. I think I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna uh, another eight for this one. Look at I you. I enjoyed Look it a lot you. more than I thought I would. It was. It's tough. I don't know if I would watch it again, but I think. Yeah. Uh, I think. It's a tough one. I think he succeeds. I think the movie succeeds in what it's trying to do. Uh, so yeah, I'll give it. I I'll, think you're I'll give right. It an eight. I, you know, as soon as I finished the movie, and it was it was several weeks ago that I watched it, or a month ago, I had six point five down, which is mm-hmm. low, which feels low, but it was what I was coming out of it with. But then in talking about it, it feels like that's, I'll just go seven. I think it's, I expected it was going to be at least a seven when I sat down to watch it. And then I don't know what made me feel that it was a little less than the sum of its parts. Let me think, hold on, let me think. Let me think if I could figure it out. I'm going to go. Here it goes. Nah, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. (sighs) Except the fact that maybe you need a little bit more. Just didn't work. Wow. Are you trying to do De Niro? Wow. Are you doing De Niro? trying to do De Niro. You got nothing. You got nothing. more enthusiasms for this Enthusiasms. Movie. I love that line. I love that line. If he, it, for those of you who don't know what Fred's doing, <laughs> he's segueing us into Robert De Niro and... The unfuckables. I'm sorry. The untouchables. And here endeth the lesson. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with the untouchables. <laughs> David Mamet did real good. It wasn't half the misogyny. It's easy to not be misogynist when there's no women in your movie. There you go. Ah, uh, Patricia Clarkson's so good, but so nothing. I didn't apart. realize that was her until the credits. I was like, oh my god. Oh my god. She's great. I love her. She's so beautiful. You know, I do. Anyway, why don't we do Oh, we'll one? talk about oh, it. I'll tell you. No, no I'm going to tell you, you what do. I'll tell you when we start talking about the movie. You do a Patricia Clarkson impression? Please tell me. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you do it because that's amazing. I do a Patricia Clarkson, not an impression. I literally, and whenever I do audiobooks, you know, I think I've told you like there's always like a <gasps> oh, yeah. certain character. You think of like somebody Patricia who's, Clarkson uh, is in every single, I mean, I could show you, like if I went through, if you look through all my PDFs, you'd see her name everywhere because I always use uh-huh. her name as a you reference. Just for sort of bringing up a voice a little bit higher, you know, sort of doing that, mm. like just a little bit, giving like that Patricia Clarkson feel. That's, that's very nice. That's sexy when you do that. Do you like that? Uh, well, I don't know that Should I, we talk about the untouchables like this, sexy. like Patricia Clarkson? Just a little bit there. Let's not. Let's not. That's a little, I don't know. You can. I'd like to talk about Ronnie Cox right now. <laughs> Ronnie Cox and I. Actually, I was in the toilet stall holding the camera between his legs while he shit. <laughs> I filmed that entire scene. And then David Mamet said, okay, you can get up now, bitch. Oh, i be in my movie. That's a real second unit director. <laughs> Speaking second of second units, unit. Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox, he had two units and you were somehow shooting between them. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, talk about touchable. Wait a minute. This is the 
Untouchables. See? What am I even See? doing? See? <laughs> Some things are touchable and other things aren't. <laughs> Don't. Stop it. That's untouchable. No. Ah, you touched it. I guess it's touchable after all. The world's opening up. And so, <laughs> forget it. The untouchables. Get your hands in the air. You're all under arrest. You fellas are untouchable. Is that the thing? No one can get to you. Hey, everybody can be gotten to. All right, then. Drive him to the station. Anything happens, you shoot first. You understand me? Well, I'll tell you one more thing. You got an all-out price fight, you wait till the fight's over, one guy's left standing, and that's how you know who won. Just tell me, are you being careful? Careful as mice. I want to hurt the man Malone. I want to start taking the battle to him. I want to hurt Capone. After building an empire with bootleg alcohol, legendary crime boss Al Capone, played by Robert De Niro, rules Chicago with an iron fist. Though Prohibition agent Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, attempts to take Capone down, even his best efforts fail due to widespread corruption within the Windy City's police force. Recruiting an elite group of lawmen who won't be swayed by bribes or fear, including Irish-American beat cop Jimmy Malone, played by an Oscar-winning Sean Connery, who, according to Barbara Walters, really puts the beat in beat cop. You think it's good to slap a woman? No, I don't think it's good. I, I think, think it's bad. It I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it. Yeah. What would merit it? Well, if you have tried everything else, and women are pretty good at this, they, they can't leave it alone. Yeah? They don't want to have the, the, the last word, and you give them the last word, but they're not happy with the last word. They want to say it again and, and get into a really provocative situation. Then, I think it's absolutely right. You son of a bitch! Ness renews his determination to bring Capone to justice, also starring Andy Garcia and Patricia Clarkson, and featuring a monumental score by Ennio Morricone. The Untouchables, written by David Mamet and directed by Brian De Palma, was a sizable hit, earning $10 million over its opening weekend on its way to a total box office of $76.3 million. Fred and Dan, what'd you guys think of... Oh, no. That's Untouchables. I think Uncrustables are delicious. Um, <laughs> uncrustables. I, Lunchables and Uncrustables are fantastic. I want them dead. I want their families dead. I want the crusts cut off. <laughs> uncrustables. The movie i did see this i feel like i watched this with my dad on v on video on like vhs we read this because he liked the old tv show yeah. um and you know the story was um familiar to him <clears throat> and elliot ness and all of that so i feel like we watched that together i feel like i was like with robocop i was very shocked at the violence of spoiler alert the way sean connery dies and a lot of mm. the other violence in the movie this is a, this is right up there on par with some of the other things that we've been talking about as far as like the oh. 80s mm -hmm. were a time when everyone was concerned about violence in movies yeah. and kids yeah. shouldn't be seeing things that are rated r but they were seeing them because of the advent of cable <laughs> and video right yeah and this is up there with them this is a very very violent movie um you know uh i I completely somehow 
forgot about the the sequence on the steps with the baby carriage, which is mm. uh, which is the um, um, the Odessa steps. That is a yeah. I learned Dallas. about it later. It is uh, um, uh, something I learned about in film history, which is uh, um, from Sergei Eigen- Eisenstein's um, uh, movie Battleship Potemkin, yeah. <laughs> and Brian De Palma, who has to, I think, do an homage to something in every one of his movies, whether it's Hitchcock or it's some other classic film, he can't not do an homage, is basically almost doing a shot for shot, not quite, um, um, homage to Eisenstein in this. And it works great. It works really, really great. It, it is, uh, um, it's a great feat of editing. And that's the whole thing with that Battleship Potemkin sequence is the, um, you know, the original one was like, oh, and here's how you edit in order to create suspense. That was the, that was the, the reason they show that in all those film history classes. And, and is that, because I think I saw it in a film class, but I don't remember yeah. it anymore. Is there, is there all, like in this movie, is there, um, forgive a baby me, carriage. a baby carriage yeah. going down steps. And all this stuff. It is the same, same uh, conceit. I remember oh, wow. now you say, Yes, it's an homage, but I remember like, because I saw this movie as soon as it came out, Mm -hmm. opening weekend, and I was at that point, you know, obsessed with film. I was reading all the reviews. I was reading the premiere magazine. They did like one of those shot by shot articles about the battleship Potemkin scene and and all of that. And, And a lot of reviews were like, as wonderfully done as it is, they're like, what is this doing at the end of this movie? Like well, for, that, for people who know film so well, and yeah. say, it's like, why, why are you putting, it took people out of the movie a lot. I think if you, if you right. had the reference point, you either appreciated it or you were taken out by it because it's so blatantly mm-hmm. that to me, I read about it. So I knew I was seeing an homage to something when I saw it in the theater. But if you don't know, you're just like, whoa, look at this crazy, amazing, epic set piece kind of thing. Exactly. And that's, I think, what, what where Brian De Palma lands. He's like, OK, most of the audience, 99 percent of the audience will not have seen Battleship <laughs> Potemkin, who's going to see the story of Elliot Ness and Al Capone. Therefore, yeah. I will do this. And me and a few select others will know that it's an homage or abject robbery of this other thing. (laughs) And the rest of the world will just think it's cool. And, you know, but the problem is, yeah, exactly. Critics are going to know. They know their film history and they're going to, I think it's a legit question. Why is this here? It doesn't necessarily feel like it fits with the rest of the movie. And yet to some degree, you know, um, it it, kind of does because it sets up, here's the moment where we're going to, you know, um, um, it is a, it is sort of a, it's not even an anticlimax. It's one of the many climaxes at the end of this, of the end of this movie, um, that sort of come one upon one upon the next. And, um, it's when, you know, we, we see that the, the clock is ticking. There's, there's urgency. It's down. It's like a 007 kind of moment of like it yeah. now or never, you know, you're either going to survive or it's going to be over. You're going to miss the guy or you're going to get him right now. Yeah. And it um, also I shows really, the, the, like the moral line that Elliot Ness has been battling the Absolutely. entire movie that yeah. finally he's going to do, do the yeah. right thing, but he's also yeah going to use violence to do what needs mm-hmm. to be done because that's yeah. his thing in the beginning is like he thinks this everyone thinks this is a game like he doesn't want there shouldn't be violence and so i think that's right. a part of that scene too but sorry the, the baby cat no the baby the baby and the baby carriage make it feel a little over the top and like almost <laughs> self parent you know what i mean i feel yeah. like oh my god we're putting a baby <laughs> in there <laughs> 
but it does work. And I, but I, in watching it, I, 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 this time, cause I hadn't seen it in many years, but I saw this movie so many times. Did you? When I was, yes, between, because this was when I was working at the video store and this and Witches oh. of East Twick was like, I saw them, in, I saw these in the movie theater. And then I, that fall I was working in that video store and when, and the, so the movies would get released and not only would, you know, we could, yeah, you say like, well, you could rent it now, but they would dub off store copies. They would dub off a copy just for it to be, be you know, so that the people who worked there could take the movie home without oh, taking right, one right. of the copies yeah. that were supposed to be sold, you know, rented <laughs> to the public. So we just had like a shitty dub or whatever. And then some, if you really liked the movie, they'd be like, all right, you can dub off one for yourself to take home. Mm. And so I had this in Witches of Eastwick, like by fall of 87, I had these in my house and I watched these two over and over again. And I feel like I maybe we watched all had those tapes, right? That we always even more watched, oh, yeah. right? Like I told you that when I had, it had, it had, uh, 16 yes. candles and tank on it. <laughs> tank. Yes. Yes. I had another one that had Raiders of the Lost Ark and Uncommon Valor on it. Yes, you said those that. Four movie, you know what I mean? It's like you always yes, had absolutely. An, an A movie and a B movie on a tape that you got from somebody or that somebody taped off of a tape. And I feel like I watched this so much, but then I didn't watch it for 30 years. <laughs> and so watching it the other, uh, the other night, well, a few weeks ago, right. I was like, I know what they're going to say. I know what he's going to say. I know what the music's going to do here. And I would, and I was anticipate the, my brain had held on to so much of it that if you just asked me in a vacuum, if we were just having a conversation about it, I'd remember big things. And I, but I was remembering rhythms and like beats. And I was like predicting words before they came and not just the famous stuff, like the stuff that Connery and, and De Niro say, but other like little lines and little turns of phrase. I was like, Oh yeah, this is when he says this, this is when he does that. It was kind of, it was almost bizarre the experience of rewatching this after so many years. It's amazing but, um, how much your brain holds yeah, on holds to. On like to. you know, we, we you know, um, uh, Taylor goes to um, does a lot of thrifting. I come, I go with her occasionally, and there's always something in a thrift store that I go, <laughs> "Whoa, I had that." I had that thing and I completely forgot that I had it. And now that I'm looking at it and holding onto it and handling it, all of these memories about having it, if it's a record, listening to it, if it's a toy, playing with it, Mm -hmm. are flooding back. My brain held onto it and I didn't even know that it was in there, you know, and movies operate the exact same way. way. Old commercials operate the same way. Like it puts you back there. (laughs) And even when they're bad. I I don't know if anyone knows that. (laughs) (laughs) I anticipate, but I, so I'm, we're getting to that scene and I'm anticipating like, oh, it's going to feel. It's going to be a little cheesy. It's a little over the top <laughs> and it doesn't play yeah. that way. But the reason I was anticipating it would yeah. is partly because of how this then is. So this is an homage to Battleship Potemkin <laughs> and then Naked Gun 33 and a third does a parody of this scene oh God. with OJ Simpson's finest on-screen moment. <laughs> wow. He's playing like a hot dog vendor in the train station. And the baby carriage thing is happening on the steps and Leslie Nielsen is shooting it back. And the baby, like, the carriage hits like hits like a bump. And the baby flies out of the carriage. Of course. And OJ Simpson heroically catches the baby and then does like a touchdown dance and is about to spike the baby and Leslie Nielsen stops him. And 
It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh, Go watch it right now. Not to like, you know, I mean, I come, I do not come here to praise Caesar. <laughs> but it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny him trying to spike a baby. So it may, so that, but like, but that's kind of what I had in my head is like, this is going to be, it's going to like tip into self parody yeah. here, but no, right. it's like, it's just so well done. It's so well done, but there is a lot about the movie. I have in my notes, the words Johnny dangerously so many times, yeah. because there are so many things about yeah. either frame composition or like a very kind of simplistic, which is probably an, uh, an homage uh, the same way an homage to battleship Potemkin an homage to the old TV series or movies of the era that this mm-hmm. was in, that there are some things that feel heightened in a way that just borders on cheesy and it feels like it is a parody of the thing there's a moment where like they're tearing pages off a calendar and it feels like the way they would do it in johnny dangerously or there's that when frank nitty is standing outside of sean connery's address with a matchbook that has the address written on it there's something about it that's so like comic booky or just like yeah. you know like just a melodrama. bold stroke yeah. like a it's just yeah well, that's, that's the word that's see weird. dan knows more things than me yeah, but, but i think, uh, but I think, I think it works but it's funny it's like for a second i want to laugh at it and then i'm like and then i give over to it well because yeah. it's all in the style they're doing that you know yeah. he's, he's getting that uh that style down of those old-timey movies old-timey gangster movies and i think he, and which johnny well, dangerously when it has the juxtaposition of the of the uh you're having your cake and eat it too when you're doing all that and yet then you're you know there's a blood bat, or then there's like a baseball bat to the head or there's a, you know the bloodshed and some of the the 80s violence and some of the 80s filmmaking bumping up against some of the uh, the homages and the style sometimes it's that kind of uh there's a little bit of and that's the problem conflict the there that's, that is the diploma i, I guess that's problem it. i don't right know him well you yeah. but i like it, that it, in it, this because you know. i feel like it takes it and i know a lot of people have that issue with De Palma that he tra- you know that he sort of fancied himself like the next hitchcock and that was hmm. you know all his movies hmm. where he was trying to do that after blowout but i i sort of like that in this and there's there's definitely some Watching it this time, I noticed there were a few inconsistencies, I thought, and just how scenes butted up against each other and how I, I liked all the individual scenes, but I thought, well, how do you go from there to there? But I did like that it has that sort of, there's almost like an operatic or like this, this, uh, yeah. uh, old theatrical quality, you know, like an old time gangster movie, like an old John Ford movie, an old Hitchcock movie. Like it's got that feel, but then it's the reality of, you know, there's Mm. some real shit. And I mean, I, I, I'm fairly certain that I saw this in the theaters. I'm, I'm pretty Mm. certain that I saw it in the theaters. Um, and I remember then and now being shocked at spoiler Mm. at Charles Martin Smith getting killed and Sean Connery's death. You know, like those were very shocking to me. And I, and I actually think it works. I never, it does. There's never a moment like I, you mentioned uh, uh, Ennio Morricone's music. I've like the title theme I love. I love the music throughout. There's once or twice where it's more the production, it's that 80s production, that 80s sheen. Uh, There was Mm. one or one or two times when that came on and took me out a little bit. But other Mm. than that, none of that stuff. The, you know, the, the, the contradictions that you're talking about never really took me out. It, it seemed to me with this movie, De Palma seems pretty cohesive in what he's doing. And there's a lot of the same. More so than in other movies. Yeah. Like I noticed mm. even like 
uh, the cinematography, and I don't know if there's a if there's maybe a point to this. There's a lot of aerial shots, a lot of things. Mm-hmm, so, you yeah. know, I mean, you start with the movie, you know, right with Capone. You also see it when you're introduced. <gasps> That's beautiful. It's a beautiful shot. When you're introduced to Elliot Ness, it's an aerial shot. When you see Nitty, mm-hmm. you know, waiting with, with, with the matchbook, that's an aerial. There's all these, like, even, you know, uh, Costner, Elliot Ness looking down. There's all these aerial shots. Uh, and it, they sort of string, again, I don't know if that was a theme that he was going for. Because then I noticed at the end, you do, there is a shot from below of Elliot Ness looking down. Yes. And I mm-hmm. wondered if that's that famous. was if that was done on purpose, but of course, yeah, no, of course he, he's, yeah. it's not that Brian De Palma is not a smart filmmaker. He is, but he's, he, he often has his feet on both sides of that line of, I'm going to do something from the past and bring it into the present. I'm going to do something that's an homage, but also make it of this, you know, whether it's mm. dressed to kill, whether it's that terrible, uh, raising cane movie, which is, has 9,000 psycho <laughs> ripoffs inside of it, you know, or homages, however you want to put it, but it's just too much. It's too much. Um, um, it's, it, uh, Lithgow is doing so much more than, than, uh, Anthony Perkins did, you know, and it's, but, but that's the agenda, right? It's the let's, again, it's, a, it's that 80s sort of envelope pushing to see how far is too far. I want you to get this fuck where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to piss on his ashes. I understand the knocks against Costner. Apparently, he's brilliant on Yellowstone. I haven't watched that show. But I think a lot of, uh, you know, what we sort of bristled against was when he tried to do stuff that was just outside of the the Costner zone, like Robin Hood and <laughs> things like that, where we go, oh, come on, Kevin Costner. But there was no bigger star in the 80s than him. Really. The funny thing is, no. the first thing I ever saw Kevin Costner in, and it's very similar, you know, it, it, I, 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 I'm sort of comparing this to De Niro as well, because this was for me, this was my first De Niro movie. I didn't know, I didn't even know who De Niro was when I saw this movie. I mean, I knew I'd heard the name, you know, and I knew that it was like a big deal. And I knew that it was a big deal that he was playing this character. And I'd heard that like, you know, he gained a little weight, which actually he did not. He didn't get, he didn't have time to gain the weight. It's all padding. So what the, the, how they get his face, right. Is they, he gained a little bit, but he couldn't, but it's all padding. He shaved his head. He shaved his hairline to give his face a rounder face. Um, and there's a funny story about Bob Hoskins, but I'll, I'll get to that in a, in a, in a second. Oh. Um, but, you know, the thing, th- this was a big deal for me, I found out later on, because De Niro started out, his first two movies were with De Palma, and they were improvisational comedies. Right. They were Greetings yeah. and Hi Mom. And yep. before Mean Streets, De Niro did a lot, he did comedies and he played like yeah. Southern Hicks, you know, and that's what he was known for. <laughs> and then did Mean Streets. So with Costner, I first knew Costner from, um, it was a movie called, oh God, no, oh, Fandango. That's what it was. It was another, oh, one, right. of the, yeah. it was another yeah. one of those movies that was on cable all the time. Yes. And he was sort of like the wily cut up, you know, he was, he was like, totally he was a funny guy. Yeah. He was a very different guy. And and you'll see that. You'll see that every now in different movies. Like you see it. Yep. He, he does that a little bit in Field of Dreams and in Bull, Dur- in Bull Durham and more, more of like the angry version of that. But right. yeah, he definitely sort of got pigeonholed into like, I guess the boring salt of the earth straight man. Hi. You're great. Thank you. You're great. 
thanks, thanks for having us. That was really oh, sure. generous. We, thanks for coming. We thought it was neat. Neat? Yeah. <laughs> really neat, yeah. No one's ever described it quite that way. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Okay. Thanks Have fun tonight. I don't think we'll be making that other deal. Oh, really? Not yeah. neat enough for you? Nah, well, not, not quite. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, we've got to put the kids, we got to get, get with the kids. Okay. So I'm going to give them this. All right. Thanks. Neat. Anybody who says my show is neat right. has to go. He always read very boring to me when I was younger, and <laughs> That's he reads the knock against him. Yeah, and 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 I thought, yeah, I really didn't like him in this when I saw it. You know, a million times as a teen, right. I was like, whatever. But that's also the part. He's this straight laced, like everything yeah. by the book, man. Just, you sure. know, that, yeah. he's like exactly, and that's why I think it's so brilliant about the very last line of the movie when he's like, "I'm going to have a drink now." The prohibition. It's like mm-hmm. when prohibition's the law, I'd live by the law. Yeah. And he has that great scene where he's telling all the cops, I know some of you take a drink. You got to stop that now. It's like, that is fucking boring. That is this fucking stick in the mud. That is the, you know, that's the, that's the part, but he has, but there's lots of nuance and there's lots of great stuff. And I do think he's really good in this, but I never liked him in it before. It was always, and still to this day, Sean Connery and De Niro are the, you know, they're the juicy parts. They're the fun parts. They have the great lines. They have the great scenes, but what, what Costner's doing is, not easy and it's uh and it's actually very good and i don't think i don't know if the knock against him was a knock critically or if that was like our perception or the general our perception, perception but, or yeah, yeah i'm sure he's like you know but he wasn't yeah it's certainly not an electrifying performance but it's like hard to do that within this character wait a minute what the hell kind of police you have in this goddamn city, huh? What do they teach you? You just turned your back on an armed man. You're a treasury officer. Yeah, how do you know that? I just told you I was. Who would claim to be that who was not, hmm? How did you know I had a gun? What do you want, a free lesson in police work? No. Are you okay, pal? Had a rough day on the job. Ah. Are you going home now? I was about to. Well then, you just fulfilled the first rule of law enforcement. Make sure when your shift is over, you go home alive. Here endeth the lesson. De Niro did gain thirty pounds for this. He gained thirty pounds, which is not a gigantic amount. So the story is. You know, he wanted to do it, but he he really wanted to have the time to gain the weight. They didn't know if they were going to get the time off to do it. So he reached out. So De Palma reached out to Bob Hoskins in case De Niro couldn't do it. They also, I guess, they were talking to like Gene Hackman and Marlon Brando just in case. But apparently, um, so they reached out to Bob Hoskins when Hoskins did not do it because when De Niro took the part, De Palma mailed Hoskins a check for 20,000 pounds with a thank you note which prompted Hoskins to call up De Palma and ask him if there were any other more films he didn't want him to be in. Uh, that's great. But great. see what I read, that's interesting. Because what I read is that it's that is that he, Hoskins was signed and, and then when De Niro was like, I can do it De Palma had to convince Paramount to buy out the contract, but maybe that's different. This is what oh. the Lincoln center website says that. Ooh, nobody gives a shit. 
But. Had Bob Hoskins done Untouchables in an odd twist, Brando would have had to play Mario in the Super Mario Bros. <laughs> that was the, uh, another thing that was worked out contractually. <laughs> and Brando got 30 cents for not doing that movie. But De Niro really is pretty incredible. I forgot how fun he is. And he looks like he's having fun. He looks like he's having he's a really, blast. Yeah. The one thing like that, the the baseball scene, I mean, it's obvious, it's, it's iconic. It's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So it's good. beautiful. The one thing I noticed, and I, I sort of mentioned this earlier, it's, it's weird. Some of the placement of the scenes strikes me, mm. struck me as a little odd because right before this is the, the first liquor bust that they do. And then there's this, and he takes out this guy and you're like, oh, is there a connection? I mean, the, the intent is clear that, you know, someone mm-hmm. ratted us out. Someone is, is right. you know, a rat. Uh, they're not, you know, they're not on the team. But was that connected to the liquor bust at all? Or is it just a scene of just saying, hey, let's show the good guys doing something good. Now let's show the brutality of Capone. I, it didn't seem connected I, to. I, it seemed connected to me in that it's like yeah. uh, that's a that's a loss for Capone. Capone, the, the the liquor bust is is a dent, and so yeah, he's taking it out on somebody is what it felt like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I can see that somebody wrong, specific so I, who was at fault. Yeah, I, that's I mean, what I basically got said that, that's what I think. That to me, it's yeah. what it always is: is that you yeah. know, if we're not playing yeah. as a team. But I guess I don't know. It wasn't clear to me that you know. Well, it, it's because we haven't. The it, guy he beats up has not been a prominent character prior to no. that moment. Yeah, you know, that's why. So maybe it's there wasn't. Have we even seen out. him? I don't know. Which is why, yeah. in a way, I wondered if that scene would have been more effective just a little earlier, just to see mm. right off the bat the brutality of Capone. I don't uh, know. No pun intended. Ah. You want the contest. You want the contest. You want the contest. A man stands alone at a plate. This is the time for what? For individual achievement. There he stands alone. But in the field, what? Part of a team. Looks, throws, catches, hustles, part of one big team. Batch himself to live long day, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and so on. <laughs> this team don't field. What is he? Uh, you follow me? No one. Sunny day, stands are full of fans. What does he have to say? I'm going out there for myself. But. I get nowhere unless the team wins. Team. Jesus Christ. You generally have a disdain, and I don't really understand why for uh, Andy Garcia. Right? Don't you have disdain? Oh, so do I. Oh, really? I just, I don't, I can't, I, I'm not, I'm, it's never. What do you have against not, him? I can't, it isn't, it's, it, it's me. I think it's me. <laughs> it's me, it's not you, I think. Andy. I think I'm the problem. I just, I, I he, what I've always said, what I've always said about him is that I don't understand the appeal. What's the appeal? Why is this guy a star? 
why is the, why did this guy maybe it's jealousy maybe i consider myself an andy garcia type and i was denied <laughs> roles that he you're got not, you're not. this is the th- this movie was the first time that I ever saw Andy Garcia in anything. And I remember at the time- When it, was Godfather 3? It was later, right? That was yeah. later. Yeah. yeah, that was later. It was supposed to be the new Sonny. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't, I just yeah, didn't understand. I him in that. No, yeah. I just didn't understand. But the I feel like he was- guy. I thought it was sort of- He was know, a big discovery mush. in this movie, I feel like. At least that's how I felt. He, and I remember, he, you know- uh, I, He was for Hollywood, yeah. but I felt the same way. Like, again, when I saw this, uh, when I was younger, it was always like, here's the great, again- the, the when you're a kid the actors that the actors and the acting that that pops or that has that kind of you know just has that that yeah. fire under pizzazz. it that, that kind of, the, the pizzazz of nicholson de niro connery you know in this movie it's de niro and connery are here yeah and then it's like uh, andy garcia and and uh, and and Kevin Costner were like, okay, he's they're there. They're so, but that's yeah, he's just not kind of there. true. It's not really true. It's just that those are the, the, the you know the flashy parts, yes. and then the understated, more nuanced parts. And I thought Andy Garcia in this rewatch, I really loved him in this, yeah. but I really didn't like him all the other times I saw it. But I saw it thirty years ago. You know what I mean? Like right. I, you I didn't. Uh, I, was, I loved no, him I just immediately. Didn't appreciate him. I didn't when I was a kid. I didn't. I just like remember him. thinking it was, was so good because one, I didn't know who he was. I just thought it was a cool character. I thought, I don't know, there's something about it. I'd like what you know at the end when he's just it feels like he's doing nothing. And to me, when I was younger, I was like, he's not doing anything. Oh yeah, I was sure. like, yeah, he's just a guy who. I was like, why him and why not anybody <laughs> on the street? There you go. Why not a Damatisa <laughs> type? Um, I thought Sean Connery uh, gave a lovely performance. I didn't remember much about it, you know, from having seen it before to this rewatch. But so a lot of it was, you know, surprising to me. And I thought it was it was sort of out of the comfort zone. You know, my dad was a um, big James Bond fan, too. So we, we had all the old mm. James Bond movies and I watched the Sean Connery ones many times. To Russia with Love, Thunderball, Coldfinger, all those. But, um, you know, this is a very... Uh, different side of him. And I think it's uh, the kind of thing um, that you hope that an, that an actor who's, you know, a legendary Hollywood star matures into a, a role with this much um, nuance and this much, uh, this much going on. But it's, it is, I think it does feel a little bit like Oscar bait at times, including his death scene, <laughs> you know, and his, and his, and his um, dying, um, um, commands to uh, to yeah. uh, um, uh, Costner about like how to get him finally. He's great. He was not the the bloom was off the the rose with him oh, yeah. for for some time at this You're point. Right. Yeah, but the script is so he gets all the best lines in the movie, probably even more than. It's very funny looking back on it. I was so surprised. I was like, well, De Niro didn't really get nominated for anything. It wasn't the, as a kid. I thought, well, this is, I'm as Robert De Niro, Oscar. Yeah. He's going to be the guy, you know, Oscar sure. King, you know, whatever. Had he won an Oscar at that point? Yeah. He, had. he won Raging two. Bull. Raging Bull and, and uh, Vito Corleone. And he got part two. two. So yeah. yeah. So it was like, well, he's going to get another one. He's going to, you know, but he didn't, he didn't it, get a nomination that, for best supporting. No. Oh, wow. Huh. No, Connery got the nomination for supporting and won. Yeah, but won. Uh, no, in fact, in fact, I when I look it up, like De Niro didn't get any kind of awards love for this. And I watch, I rewatched, funnily enough, I rewatched the Siskel and Ebert review of this movie. And they're kind of like so-so on it. They yeah, like it. Yeah, they weren't crazy. They really don't <laughs> like him. Oh. They're like, they thought it was like, yeah. 
it was simple for him. They thought it was like for De Niro. They thought it was like, oh, this is just like, right. it's like, you know, it's, it was, it seemed like a paycheck role to them. And I, and I, I don't mm-hmm. agree, but I, I think it's so interesting that, that it was not looked at, I guess, for everything he had done and the complexity of what he had done prior and the things he had won awards for, they, they thought there was something a little too whatever about, about this, but I think De Niro is wonderful in this, but, but yeah, Connery is just every line almost is so good. I I was watching it. I was like, I'm of course he won the Oscar. And of course you could see this in 1987 on opening weekend and say, that's the guy to beat for the Oscar because it's just that kind of part. It's just, it's got everything you need. It's got it's got the irascibility, but it's also got the he's heartwarming and he's like he's he's gruff, but he's loving, but he's <laughs> funny, but he's got the machismo. He's got all of it. And he's like a an iconic film. Star. The, the thing they love to do, especially with the supporting actor award often is like the guy making a comeback. Right. So it, it just had everything. And I was like, yeah, I'd be shocked if he didn't win. I can't imagine what would have unseated him, you know, and I don't remember who the other nominees uh, were that year. But. Albert Brooks for Broadcast News, oh. Morgan Freeman for Street Smart, yeah, oh. first Jardine for Moonstruck, and Denzel Washington for Cry Freedom. Mm. I remember when, now that you say it, I remember really rooting for Vincent Gardenia because I thought sure. he was so wonderful in Moonstruck. But I, I, yeah, hearing those, that list of names, I'm like, mm, no, this was, it was going to be Sean Conn. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. If you open the ball on these people, Mr. Nash, you must be prepared to go all the way. Because they won't give up the fight until one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. Want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. How many shields for the untouchables? I will go seven on it. Uh... You know, seven on that. I had, I actually had eight on it. That's interesting. Ooh. Seven feels Ooh. a touch. I like Which of Eastwick and Robocop better. And yeah, I like Which of Eastwick rated better, them sure. slightly higher. So that's great. I, I think, uh, I'm, I think this falls between Robocop and Witches like eight and a half, 8.5. Yeah, right. yeah, I'll go with eight. Ooh. I'll go with eight. Okay. Seems right. Are you son uh, of a very bitch. Nice, very nice. You son of a yes. bitch. Yes. Son of a bitch. How dare you? How dare you? How could you do this? Okay. Stop whining. Oh, that's not Knock. We're coming in, Mr. Predator. Knock, knock. Who's there? The Predator. Predator who? Predator, get ready to. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Twentieth Century Fox presents Arnold Schwarzenegger. Predator: The Hunt begins Friday, June twelfth, at theaters everywhere. Philip, you son of a bitch! So funny that you guys are doing all these impressions because. Look who's here to talk about oh. Predator. Oh. Hi, everybody. This is Alan Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Time for the synopsis. I played Dutch, a soldier of fortune who is hired by the U.S. government to secretly rescue a group of politicians trapped in Guatemala. 
<laughs> That's what I said when I was having sex with my maid. Ah, I'm trapped in Guatemala. And she kept saying this number name. I'm only from Guatemala. And I said, but if you have a name, that makes this real. And she said, but this is real for me. Don't you have feelings for me and all of this? And then I say, just shut up and be Guatemala. And I will pretend the sex is like being trapped in you. And then Guatemala said, I don't feel great about this. And I said, why are you talking? You're a Central American country, not a person. And then Guatemala looks at the camera and with tears in her eyes, she says, take a long, hard look at yourself, Arnold. Now who's the predator? <laughs> and see. <laughs> Anyway, back to the synopsis. When Dutch and his team, which includes weapons expert Blaine, played by Jesse Ventura, that son of a bitch, and CIA agent George, played by Carl Weathers, pushing too many pencils with his fucking tie business, land in Central America, they realize something is gravely wrong. After finding a string of dead bodies, get it, a string, because they're hanging from a string with no skin on them. The crew discovers they are being hunted by a brutal creature with superhuman strength and the ability to disappear into its surroundings, just like my Nazi father. <laughs> Predator made $12 million on its opening weekend, $59.7 million domestically, and $98.2 million worldwide. Fred and Dan and the other one what did you all think of my movie? The Predator. Oh, Arnold. Arnold. Bye, everybody. Bye. Now we go. <laughs> Bye, Arnie. Uh, first Bye, of all, first off, have you guys seen, and anyone who's listening, Predator the Musical? Yes. You showed me that one time. It's great. Wait. The, the, you mean the, um, the, the YouTube? That video that those yeah. guys yeah. made? Yeah. yeah that's, yes. Amazing. It's brilliant. If it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's the greatest thing ever. It's better than the movie, which is a, a tall, tall feat. If it bleeds, I can kill it. Now it's all up to me. Mud all over my body. So the bastard can't see. It's a solo campaign now. Get revenge for my man. Hawkins, Mac, and Ramirez. Billy Dillon and Blaine. Okay, this movie, I remember, I definitely saw it in the theater. What I remember even more so than the movie was seeing the trailer. And I don't know what it would have been shown before, but I remember I was there with my friends, probably Damon, probably Suds, all the VBC kids, I'm sure. And because we were super into Commando. And, right. you know, that was out on VHS. We'd watch it hundreds of times. And, mm -hmm. you know, Schwarzenegger at this point was just like this big, ridiculous legend in our minds, this killing legend. And I remember being <laughs> in the theater and the trailer starts. And it's like, you know, whatever it is, like in a, in a, in a jungle in Guatemala. And... Uh -huh. You see, you know, Schwarzenegger and he's in his camo and he's in the helicopter. And, you know, it's like one man, you know, sent, you know, a team of elite commandos are sent on a mission. And I remember all of us just going, oh, no, not another fucking movie like this again. Like, is, we get it. We loved commando, but really we're going to do like, is yeah. this all this guy's going to Military gonna thing. Yeah, right. like the Rambo. Somebody. Exactly. Yeah. The Rambo movies have been out. Like, yeah. we're doing this again. And then when suddenly in the trailer, 
there's that shift and they're being hunted. And we're like, wait, wait, there's a fucking alien. That's what the, we lost (laughs) our fucking minds. I don't remember. That was the first time that I was like, I was, you know, maybe after Empire Strikes Back, you know, leading up to that, like just the anticipation for a movie. We just, at that age where we were at the time, you know, the fucking testosterone just like bubbling. It was like, oh my God, it's everything we love. It was just everything that we love from Commando. I was just going to say, it's the synergy of the two things you love. The the, the awesome military Mm -hmm. sort of Stallone or Schwarzenegger movies plus sci-fi. Sci-fi. And the fact, it blew my mind that someone thought to combine those two. It was revolutionary. (laughs) It was unreal. That's awesome. So we were so excited. So, yes, I definitely saw this in the theater. I've seen it. Do you remember what movie you were seeing when that trailer I don't. I wish I could remember. I wish I could remember. I remember, it's so funny, the shit that you remember about this, but I remember it sitting very close. We were, it was one of those Hmm. days where like, I don't know, maybe we like, we got there later, we snuck in, but we were sitting too close to the screen. You know, I I don't, I'm not a fan of sitting close. Who who is? But that's all I remember is just sort of looking up and being like, oh, motherfucker, what is this? Hmm. Really another, holy shit. But I don't know what movie it was. I hope it was like Can't Buy Me Love or it, Harry and the Hendersons or something. Very like well may have <laughs> been. I didn't see Harry and the Hendersons in the theater, but it was probably oh, Can't okay. Buy Me Love. Yeah. Uh, but mannequin. And, and I've always said this. I didn't grow up in the church um, and I don't know what? much about it. No. I don't I don't know much about it, but I do know, I, I know there's a Holy Trinity, but to me, the Holy Trinity of Schwarzenegger movies have always <laughs> been Commando, Total Recall, and Predator. You're right. These three movies, these are the three. No Terminator? Terminator is amazing. Terminator is just, Terminator is a brilliant film unto itself. Okay. I don't even, I don't but even. He's different. He's a cyborg. It's, it's different. Not, it's not, really it's not like, he's not, yeah, he's not like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't consider, it's weird. I don't consider Terminator, a sh- obviously is a Schwarzenegger movie, but I don't that consider it a Schwarzenegger movie. I consider it like a James, like just like a brilliant yeah. piece of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those three movies, Commando, Predator, and Total Recall, that's where you get the full spectrum <laughs> of the ridiculous <laughs> one-liners, the yeah. pretty bad acting, but you go with it yeah. because there's just something so ridiculous and charming about Like you said it best. I think we were talking about, I think we must've been talking about Commando. Like he doesn't really know how to move in his own skin. You know? <laughs> it's like his eyes yeah. don't go with the, bu- it's, it's, and he, he gets better as he goes along, but he's still. He's much more relaxed in this and he's kind of charming he, in it. I, I think he's like not as nearly as stiff as he is like two years no, earlier in Commando. He's, but there's so, still yeah. some stiffness in the great scene where, you know, where, you know, you son of a bitch, you know, when he meets Carl oh, Weathers God, and there's yeah. just that, that shot of biceps and it's just like, yeah, fucking testosterone. Dylan. You son of a bitch. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils? Huh? Had enough? Make it easy on yourself, Dutch. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But did know when to quit, huh? Damn good to see you, Dutch. What is this fucking type is? Oh, come on, forget about my type. 
I heard about that little job you pulled up in Berlin. Very nice, don't you? Good old days. Yeah, like the good old days. And how come you passed on Lydia, huh? Oh, that wasn't my style. You got no style that you know that. Come on. Like your pass. You rescue team. Not assassins. Now, what do we got to do? The first quarter is a little harder to watch now. It doesn't go as smoothly, but man, the payoff, mm. once that fucking predator shows up, oh, yeah. once they go into action, it just moves. It's great. Uh, I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It These does. characters are ridiculous. Bill, you know, they're just, again, it's just the biggest Machismo. Machismo. It's just machismo everywhere. Yeah. You know, Bill Duke with the, you know, always shaving. That's the that's my favorite line in the Predator Bill the Duke musical. Stop shaving, Perfect. you don't have a beard. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um you know well, just the way that when 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 uh Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers sort of lock arms for the first time. That's it's, what I mean. It's, li- it's literally just a, a moment of like, let's show how much muscle yeah, these yeah. two humans have. That's all it and is. And and yet that works for the movie. It works in favor of the movie because the if you set them up as like these invincible yep. examples mm-hmm. of manhood and then have the freaking predator pick them off one by yep. one fairly easily, yep. that is that works. Really works. Yeah, I know I agree. Really really I think that's exactly yeah. what it does. So I think you need that setup. That's what I'm saying. Like if you're just watching it and sort of like how I was feeling watching the trailer. If you're just yeah. watching that setup, you're going this isn't that great. It's fine. You know, it's fun. Sure. It's, it's big and violent and eighties blow them up and rah, rah, rah. Um, you know, and so you got the one liners and knock, knock, stick around. I always forget that. I always think that stick around is stick from around. commando, but that's from I here. So too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. And then from there, it just, it just moves and it's exciting. And, uh, I, I love all the characters. It's a blast. And I forget it's Shane Black wrote it, which I was shocked at. Hmm. Mm. I had no idea. What else was What else did he uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man oh, 3. Like, oh, those movies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Much later. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Did he Lethal Weapon? He did. No, maybe yeah, not. yeah, yeah. He did. Oh, my God. And also, uh, um, The Predator itself is good. Like, oh, watching fantastic. it this time, I'm like, yeah. what a great design. It was so, yeah. it seems so new and inventive. Very and it, different. And yeah. it holds up. I expect it. I mean, the special effects of like that sort of, um, you know, when it's invisible. I could see that. Like it's, yeah, it's the speaking stuff. It's it, fine for, you know, in fine. the 80s. It's, that's what it, I mean. You know, like it's sure. slightly dated now, but if you look at it from yeah. the 80s, it, it's, it works fine. But the design of the Predator itself, mm-hmm. I just thought was so cool back then and still do. I think it's a, a great design. And it's yeah. a great performance by the, who is the actor in the Predator? Uh, uh, I forget, but it's the same costume. person who's in the costume in Harry and the Hendersons. Like, is it really? From, oh my God. Yeah, which came out that. like oh, two weeks before this. Wow. Like, yeah, I remember so they funny. did all these interviews with the guy because he was like seven and a half feet tall and he was, <laughs> and he died very young. He died as a, he was a very young man when he died. You know who the original he, Predator was? I. Jean-Claude Van Damme, but he was too short. 
Oh, they decided. Are you kidding me? He was the really? original. He was cast. Yeah, he was the original Predator. Oh, I guess because oh, yeah. oh, yeah, Shane yeah. Black is in this movie. Plays Hawkins, the guy oh, with yes. the glasses who's reading Sergeant Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Oh, um, uh, Kevin Peter Hall. Um, yes, is, yes. Uh, the Predator. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he's terrific. Um, yeah, great. You know, all this great physical work happening. You get Peter Weller, you get Kevin Peter Hall. Like it's all this neat sort of, you know, yes. very theatrical and theatricalized um, um, physical work happening in these movies of this of this summer. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that holy trinity, Fred. Um, I do like this movie. I do think it takes a while to get going. I do feel like, um, you know, it's it's a it's a good while. It's a good chunk of not all that interesting stuff as far as like you screwed us over, you dropped us in here, Carl Weathers. You, I mean, you know, that's, it's, it's fairly predictable. Yeah. And it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make a whole (laughs) hell of a lot of sense. What are they doing there? Who are they trying to rescue? Who went in before? Why are we here? Like it's, and Schwarzenegger didn't figure it out. Why? Cause he and Carl Weathers used to be pals. Do we care? Is there enough there there to care about any of this? No, we need to, we want to get to the predator. And that's why this movie ultimately, I think it's in the Trinity now, but the Trinity for me was Commando, Total Recall, and a movie that came out later this year, Running Man. I Mm. always liked Running Man Man. better than Predator. I always liked it better than Predator until until recently and until now. I think Predator Uh, is the superior uh, movie ultimately. I've seen that in a long time. Running Man feels – has it feels like it has a little more of the the RoboCop DNA yes. because it is the the satirical. Yes, it's um, satire. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, it it is, and and it has the the you know it has the great one liners and and a fair mm-hmm. amount of violence and things, but there is um you know you throw Richard Dawson in something you're gonna get I you're know. gonna have fun, but um you know I like this. I it was a it was a great rewatch for me. I had forgotten a lot of this movie, and I again same story. Didn't see it. Wasn't allowed to see it when it came out. Too violent. Friends may have seen it at a birthday party, just like with Commando or something like that, but saw it much later on cable or on um, on video with friends, and we we liked it, we enjoyed it, but it wasn't my go to. You know, the other mm. other Schwarzenegger movies, even like Red Dawn and stuff, or not Red Dawn, um, Red Heat was Red my go to for this movie. I just I just was like, yeah, the Predator parts are cool. It takes us a long time to get there, and I felt like that again um, a little with this, but. I do think it's, you know, of the four movies we watched on for this episode, I think it's the best movie of the four um, from, you know, stem to stern. I really do. I think it's, yeah, I think it's really? one. I think it's so well put together. I, <laughs> I think, I think it is, um, wow. you know, um, uh, I like the, the, the over the top ridiculous performances of, of all of the, you know, the main, um, uh, it's in, including Bill Duke. I think it's, I think he's, I just, think he's great. He's, really good. he's given a lot Duke of is really good. Do and say, but when he starts freaking out and losing yeah. his mind and just shooting into the forest and everything, and, and he's slowly losing it. I think the guy from, um, 48 hours, um, what is his name? Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's terrific. Oh, um, Billy. Yeah, he always plays a character named Billy. Um, uh, as he does in 48 hours. Um, uh, what is the actor's name? I'm going to find him. Um, but I think he's really – Sonny Landham. I think he's really um, great in this because he's the guy who knows before everybody else does what's, what's going down, what's about to happen. There's something in the trees. And that's what he's there for, right? He's the tracker. He's the sort of sensor of, of things. And he can sense that something is – uh, something very bad is about to happen. And, you know, for what it's worth, 
uh, I was a huge, huge Jesse Ventura fan at this time in my life, not surprisingly, um, because of my love of wrestling. And it was just cool to see a wrestler get a good part in it in something. And he was in Running Man as well. He's in oh, Running yeah. Man and he was friends with, with Schwarzenegger. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was cool to see. Uh, you know, wait, can this wrestler act? Can he, does he have any chops? And he does. Turns out he does. He's a good actor. He's, he's fine. And Carl Weathers, you know, is fine. So, um, I, I, <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's, 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 he's not going to do anything that's, that's not, you know, right there on the surface, but, but he's, he's great. He, you know, we got no problem. Um, the, uh, um, movie really for me takes off, not surprisingly, when Schwarzenegger dis- figures out, Okay, I got to turn the tables on the predator and how to do it and putting all of the pieces in place, you know, from putting the mud all over himself to setting up all the traps to mm-hmm. calling out the predator. He goes, he goes tribal, he goes feral, he goes, he goes, yeah. you know, beast mode, whatever you want to call it. He go, he goes full, he becomes the predator. Um, as you said in your intro, Jason, uh, in a way, um, <laughs> he, he, he hunts the predator. He knows that that's that's what he's got to do to survive. He's got to outwit the predator. And that is uh, watching him do that is very satisfying and still is uh, to this. That was satisfying then and is satisfying now. You're one ugly motherfucker. I like it. I think it's good. It uh, for me, it's I'm probably going to go. Uh, we're jumping to Sheila's. I'm probably going to go seven, which is where I was with RoboCop. But really, wow. But I think RoboCop's more interesting. I, I think for me, it's probably I'm going to give it the same Sheila as RoboCop. But I, I think probably of the four, and I didn't necessarily expect this, and I've seen it before, but I didn't see it in the theaters, and I don't even, you know, me, I'm very good at remembering exactly when and where I saw something. I'm not sure when the first time is I saw this. It might've been with like you and Jeremy at our old apartment. I mean, I, or I might've mm-hmm. seen it on video in high school or something. And yeah. I just, it didn't like, I pr- in fact, I probably did, but it just didn't make didn't that kind of impression yeah. on me. I think I'd like commando a little more because I think it's funnier. No, I do. More, yeah. More, no, I like commando more, better. more fun and moves, uh, it's a little that that one really surprised me when we watched it. Um, yeah. Uh, I yeah, I like it. I like Schwarzenegger. I think the design of the Predator is great. It does feel it, it, it gets a little monotonous for me, and it's not necessarily just the beginning. Like yeah. it's a little. And not even that it's slow. It's just a little repetitive. I mean, once you get to the, the idea that, all right, it's, he's going to pick everybody off and then Schwarzenegger is going to be left and Schwarzenegger is <laughs> going to turn the tape. It's very, it's predictable what's, what needs to happen, not necessarily how it all happens, but certainly what's going, right. you know, the beats are there and you know, you know, Schwarzenegger is not going to die at the end. So, you know, he's going to kill the predator. And it's like, it's just kind of how he it's does true. it. And yeah. I, I don't know. It just didn't um, light my fire uh, watching it. Although I liked most things about it. I think I really liked Bill Duke. Uh, I, I did that, that, that shot of the arms is so great when they, them <laughs> clasping and showing the fist. It's so team America. It's so yeah, like it ridiculous it's over the top. They hold on Ch- it a know, little Chuck too Norris. long. <laughs> they hold on it too long, but the reason they hold on it, and it's a great director, John McTiernan, who did mm-hmm. Die Hard. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, the, the next year. So this is right before he does Die Hard, uh, okay. uh, which I think is far superior, but I, but you know, whatever. Mm. I love the, the shot of the arms because then, then you see Carl Weathers' arm 
<laughs> it's the arm is like just lying there with the gun, right? Isn't is it Carl oh, Weathers' yeah. arm? Yes, you're right. right. And, and right. Just, so yeah, I think, I think the shots there, like showing off the muscular arm, so we can see the the uh, not disembodied, yeah, disembodied, yes, disembodied muscular arm, arm yeah. like lying there in the jungle. I think it's very funny, dismembered arm. Yeah. I think it's super super funny and i was and when i saw that shot of the arm lying there in the jungle i was like that's why they held so long on their like uh, muscular arms yeah. so it's kind of saying like these your muscles do nothing you're right sure i also well, and like then the, in happy gilmore the doesn't he have a fake arm in happy gilmore on top <laughs> he has of it? fake hand yeah, yeah so it's um, synergy but i think exactly but i also liked um I think it is very well set up that like these are like the most muscular, macho, yeah. badass motherfuckers you've ever seen. Right. And they're all going to be laid to waste. And that the team that went in before, right, was Green Beret. Yeah, right? they and they were saying like they would know, they would know how to get out of this. They would know how to protect mm-hmm. themselves. They would know. And then you just see they're just Ooh. nothing. They've right. been completely skinned. And they're like, it's, yeah. I think the setup is so good. Yeah. It just, for whatever's out there, it is a killing machine and the, all the, all the, it's basically saying, what if there were 20 Rambos, they couldn't do anything against it. It's like a great, it's just a great setup. Like what's. I'm probably looking too far into this. I don't think they, but I I don't know with the design of the predator and maybe only because of, of where we are now in society, but I Uh couldn't help but thinking you have all these like big, big giant men and the predator got the long dreads and there's something feminine about it, yes. which I never noticed. I and never thought of before. Vaginal about the, the, totally, the totally something that's this time watching. And I'm thinking, I wonder if that was on purpose. You know, that, mm. and, and, and it's it, in the beginning, mm. the person who really discovers it and it's the, the woman that they take yeah. hostage, you know, who notices the blood, but there's something about the predator right. this time going, huh, I wonder if that was, if they knew what they were doing, like, let's give these feminine touches with That's the hair, so interesting. the mouth, uh, you know, I don't and know. it looks, maybe, ma- I mean, it looks, masculine. it looks like a man's architect. Yes. Yeah, the, sure. the musculature looks, ma- but do we know if, is the predator male or female? Do we know? I'm not a girl. No, yeah. I mean the, the sequels probably would. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's been yeah, there's been so many fucking sequels yeah. and Predator versus Alien and then Predators <laughs> and then The Predator and Prey, which is supposed to be very I good. Heard it really good, yeah. Oh. It's supposed to be very good. But there's so many offshoots of this movie uh, and permutations. I'm sure and comic books, mm-hmm. a million. So I'm sure that's all parsed out later on. But of course. There is no context for it. It's just a thing that he's got to defeat and you don't know anything about it. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I wonder if the creature itself is supposed to be female somehow. Um, I I think the invisibility thing is, is brilliant. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. this natural camouflage thing. It also gives it a, a a bit of a jaws quality because you can't, it's not just that we don't show you the monster very much. You mm-hmm. can't see it. It's, it's cloaking itself. It's great. Yeah. I think it's, I think all that's great. I think the, the kind of helmet or mask that then reveals yeah. the cool. biological great. thing is great. It's I, I, the design is great. It's, it's very, it's very solid. It, it just didn't stir me up either. As I, I also didn't see it as a, as a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know if it would have even been, my cup of tea then because i wasn't that into like yeah 
the big kind of act. I wasn't really into Schwarzenegger movies or the Rambo stuff. And I also wasn't a big horror guy. So, you know, so maybe it wouldn't have, even if I had seen it then, I don't know if it would have done as much for me, but it is fun. It's, uh, as homoerotic as Top Gun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, I don't know. I think, I thought it was really, I thought it was really, really good, but I actually expected on this. That scene where they play volleyball with the predator, you expected that to make it into the movie, but they took that out. I was laughing like a loon with the, Pushing the pencil yeah. and the fucking tie. With the cigar delighted, and the delighted. helicopter. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Loved it. Loved yes. it. Loved Silliness. it. Loved yeah. all of that. Like the, 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 and I think that's what's fun about what's really great about the movie is the way it, it flip takes all of that, then flips it on its head and says, Yeah. When you're with a, an animal like this, it does not matter. All of yeah. your bravado, all of your, yeah. all of the bench posts and sign marks of, of masculinity, yeah. it means, and even nothing. all the Hollywood all mists, you know what I mean? Even it, as the trailer, you know, as you said about brilliant. the trailer, it's yeah. like we're going to set this up as the Hollywood, you know, the, the, the sort of formulaic, even your Hollywood formula won't survive the predator, <laughs> you yeah, know, and yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool sort of meta conceit. One movie. line that popped out at me this time was sometimes we found the men without their skins and sometimes much, much worse. And I just thought, what's worse than that? That's pretty fucking bad. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. I love that it leaves it leaves you hanging. You know what would have been really fascinating in terms of how it upends your expectations of what this kind of movie is going to be, or like that it's another, you know, muscles in the jungle kind of Rambo type thing is if they did the psycho thing, if Schwarzenegger was killed. Right. If, if the if the right. nominal on the poster star yeah. is cut yeah. and it turns out like, oh, that's just a cameo, and then you've got this cast of yeah. you know, you'd probably need bigger some some slightly bigger names than what right. we have yeah, in yeah, the yeah. mix there but sure. if you had or 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 if you were like this is the team up between Schwarzenegger and Stallone like oh my god and, and then one it's of like them, and one of them gets yeah. picked yeah. off and then it's like yeah. uh, that would be pushing to the uh to the extreme the 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 thing that it's going for sure. and that it does successfully with uh, mm-hmm. upending your expectations there's of a, how, how well a, they'll be able to fight. There's this. a pretty bad sci-fi movie with Jake Gyllenhaal called Life that does that, <sighs> does that exact thing. Um, really? There's another, you know, fuck it, nobody's going to see this movie. Ryan Gosling's in it as well. Uh-huh, and so it's uh-huh. Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Gosling and Ryan Gosling dies first. Uh-huh, and that's uh-huh. pretty cool. You know, mm-hmm. that was the one cool yeah. thing about the movie. And then it's an alien ripoff oh, wow. from stem to stem uh-huh. after that. Um, is it Ryan this, Gosling? No, it's what? Ryan Reynolds. I'm sorry. Oh, Ryan I always Reynolds. confuse those oh, two. Yeah, yeah, A lot yeah. of people confuse those two. It's Ryan Reynolds. Sorry. Um, but yeah, that would have been really cool. My gosh, to have, you know, another major star. Or, you know, Carl Weathers was still a pretty big star because of the Rocky movies. Have him die first. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, and go, whoa, that's our sec- that's our second name that's our second billing star and he's gone he's out well before you talk me down yeah go ahead i'm gonna give it an 8.5 love because of nostalgia and i'm gonna give predator the musical a solid 10 because that's (laughs) fucking brilliant and again i'll say it if you haven't seen it go watch it Uh, i'll have to watch it brilliant i'll have to watch it i have watched it but i haven't seen it in a long time and what Uh, are you danny you said i'm gonna be a nine on this Oh, you are a nine. Yeah, I'll go to a nine. Yeah. I, I, I really, oh. really enjoyed it. Yeah. No, I'll stick with seven. I'll stick with seven. Yeah. And maybe I could be talked up to 7.5, but, but I don't know that it's, that's the thing. When I start comparing it with RoboCop, I'm like, is it better than RoboCop? I mean, I guess in some ways it <laughs> doesn't have to in be. In a lot of ways it is, <laughs> but RoboCop is, 
has so much kind of more interesting, weird stuff going on there. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll leave them both at a seven. I'll leave them both at a seven. Mm-hmm. Yay! Wow. Fantastic. Oh, I have to. I know it's been a while, but yes. I do need to make a correction. Oh, uh, my, on our last no. episode, I spoke of my old magic teacher. Uh, who I, <laughs> I thought it was going to be a correction about wow. something in a movie. No, no, no. But, this no. is more important. <laughs> and I thought his name was Jean Valjean. Uh, I was actually corrected. It is. It was Jean Maljean. It was Jean Maljean or Jean Maljean. That's the evil version of Jean Valjean. Exactly. That's the arch nemesis of Jean Valjean. The valorous one so, and the valorous one. I just want to set the record straight. Yeah, no, that's good. I actually feel like I that there was something that I listened back to and I was like, oh well, that's wrong. So I have to, I have to clarify that. And I forget. I don't know if it was, and I don't know if it was the last episode or two episodes back. But um, yeah, yep, and yep. the listeners will have forgotten if they know it's good. <laughs> exactly. Well, certainly, uh, you know, the Valjean Maljean <laughs> debacle that will will not stand, shall not stand. That'll live on. I'm in sure, sure a lot of people were like, "There's no way that motherfucker is named Valjean." <laughs> Was there, was there a, an assistant professor named Tenardier? That's a deep cut for those who like Les or Victor Hugo related topics. My world was made up of abuse. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Opening Weekend. On to episode 99 and an expanded look at another of our favorite movie summers, 1984. Now, of the top seven movies of summer 84 we have reviewed only three on this podcast so far ghostbusters which was number one for the year for the summer rather gremlins which was number three and the natural which was really a spring release but was the number six biggest hit of summer 84 but next episode we will fill in the blanks by reviewing the seventh biggest movie of summer 1984 purple rain starring prince then the fifth The Karate Kid, starring Ralph Macchio. The fourth, which was Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, directed by Leonard Nimoy. And the second biggest film at the 1984 summer box office, Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh my God. Summer 1984. That's next time on episode 99 of opening weekend. Dan, why can't I see your face on the screen? Oh, that's the ejaculate that's covering your screen. Oh. oh. oh I know. Myself. And now I'm going to take another bathroom break. It almost wasn't going to be Star Trek 3, but we've done oh. Star Trek 2 and 4, so that's <laughs> nice to like fill in the middle. And it also was. I went back and looked and I was like, oh, wow. That was... that. that those were all up there. Yeah, it was oh. it was high up that summer at the box office. So I love Temple of Doom. Oh, I can't wait! I can't Temple wait. Temple of Doom, I fucking love. And I've never seen. And of course, I've seen, so I've seen Indiana yeah. Jones, Star Trek Three, Karate Kid many times. All of them saw them all in the theater. But Purple Rain, I have never seen. We said that during our uh, said that a couple times. We said that during our soundtrack episode, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, my good friend Gina Daniels, who started listening to the podcast in earnest, right? Was like, uh, this year was like, I can't believe you haven't seen Purple Rain. I saw The Snatural in a hotel. All right, now. I saw Indiana Bones in the Temple of Poon. And oh, I like amazing. it. I can't speak. Ladies and or gentlemen. <laughs>
I've decided. I've decided. No, we had a big conversation about it that may or may not be kept. <laughs> where we're going to do someone who watched over me, someone to watch over me. Someone to watch over me, which was uh, 12 uh, seconds, maybe not even a second. Not even. In which is these twigs. And then into the Robocop theme, which I don't quite remember. And then you have to have <laughs> it hummed to me. But that's what I've got for you. So buckle up. <laughs> Buttercup. Hang on. Did I do that song for the Mr. Holland's Opus episode? Oh, maybe you did. I'm having a flashback. You know what's so funny? You started it, and I was like, I feel like I've heard Dan do this. That's exactly the thing that happened to me just now. And that would be it, right? Because that's what she sings. She sings. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe. All right. You know, perfect. Scrap it. No, that's okay. No, it's it's a a reprise. A reprise reprise of of, some past episode. But then, all right, now, how many? I'd buy that for a dollar. Ah, Excellent. Ah. Ronnie's Cox, stand up and cheer. (laughs) The search for Ronnie's Cox. (laughs) Oh, good news. That's Patricia Clarkson. (laughs) Yes. She's right down there <laughs> filming from betwixt his legs. I don't, I don't know if we kept any of that in the episode, so that won't make any sense. We'll end it with I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> or we won't. Or this episode will never end. You, you said you missed us? You said you, it's been a long time since an episode? Is it starting to hurt? Do your ears hurt? After hour three? What does it feel like? Hmm? Are you like, please let it stop? You have the power to hit pause. You could start. You could move on to another podcast. I'm sure All Things Considered is on right now. You could listen to that. Listen to anything. Right Why back. are you still listening? Oh, my God. You you sick Paul Verhoeven-like sadistic. <laughs> oh, you disgust me. Go away. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening.